live from the PNC Arena at North Carolina State University. We are in the middle of a people power battle royal. The winner will face either the Intercontinental Champion Cody Rhodes or the United States Champion Santino Morella here tonight. Well, the winner gets the decision on which champion he wants to face. Okay, all right, fair enough. I was going to tell you about my, my ridiculous 24 hours, wasn't I? Yeah, come so on. I left work in Scunthorpe last night and I went to Brig to run Sperrins, which is about 12 miles away. Uh, and, I, and I had to go back to Scunthorpe because I'm the board of Voluntary Action North Lincolnshire, a voluntary infrastructure organisation. I'm going back for my board meeting and I set off at a mini roundabout and I don't have first gear or second gear or third gear or fourth gear or fifth gear or sixth gear or reverse. And I grind to a halt on the middle of the mini roundabout at tea time. Thankfully, a police car came along just then. <laughs> and we're like, can we help you off the road before you die? Which was nice. <laughs> yes, yeah. you can. They didn't use those exact words, but that was the look <laughs> in their look in their eyes. So they pushed me off down the road. And then, uh, and then I had to join the AA. Uh, <laughs> very quickly. Um, and uh, I couldn't get back home. So I had a night in a hotel. 15 miles from my house because I had to be back in the brig the following morning to go to the garage to sort the car out. Oh. So it's like I either spend £45 on a cab back home because there, it's Wednesday and there are no cabs in brig. So I have to get a cab from Scunthorpe. It will charge me to get to brig and then charge me to get back to Glyton. So I may as well pay £30 for a hotel room instead. So I ended up in a hotel last night. And it's oh. Scunthorpe um, Steelworks are on what's known as shutdown season where they take all their big furnaces and clean them all out. So literally every contractor in the north of England is in the hotel I'm staying in. And I'm sleeping next door to a guy who snores like a horse with heavy asthma. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, it's like... <laughs> all night. <laughs> so if I'm not dead sharp today, I apologise now. Hello and welcome everyone to the oh, Random hey, Wrestling... Hey, oh, oi. That's my job this week. Oh. oh. Hello. Uh, welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. My name is James Troopening. I don't normally do this job. It's normally Ben or Tom who does this job. But Ben is not with us this week, neither is Tom. So they asked me to do it instead. Um, and thank you. I very much will enjoy this because this is one of my favourite podcasts to do. And I get to host it, which is really cool. And joining me today is a man who looked into the deep, dark soul of Minoru Suzuki and discovered that slapping each other in the chest isn't that bad. Mr. Matthew Roberts, how are you, sir? <laughs> I love it. That's true. That is a man to be feared with. But I am good, gentlemen. Salute to you. How are we doing? <laughs> I think we're doing okay. And also, the omnipresent, a man who may have traded insults with me and Matt when we weren't here, and now he has to answer for his sins. Mr. Sam Carey. Hello, everyone. And just in case you're wondering why I'm not hosting, it's because I can't be asked. <laughs> it's too much responsibility. I just want to bring some sarcasm and some penis gags to the show. We just turn up and talk the shit. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so, today's show will have all of your old favourites for some rambling from ourselves. And we are looking at Over the Limit 2012 from WWE, a show I've never seen before today and really isn't in my wheelhouse, as Sam was telling me before the show, and he, he's right. 
and a show Matt has seen many times before and perhaps wished he hadn't. So, without further ado, have you any talking points from this week's wrestling world, boys? I actually had a little question for you, James. I thought we'd uh, we'd make it topical this week. So we normally have a talking point, or when Tommy's in charge, we, we have the game come back. But I wonder what your well, both of your thoughts were on the, uh, what is it, the Forbidden Door pay-per-view that will be coming up. I think it's next month, which is, uh, for those who don't know, well, where you fucking been? It's uh, <laughs> AWX. NJPW, which apparently isn't multiplied by, because I was getting very confused about that. But it's apparently a single device that it's a crossover. This was a crossover pay per view. And I wondered, obviously, those who know James, who was the True Penny Show, which is the foremost podcast on Japanese wrestling. And uh, yeah, what do you reckon then, James? What do you reckon about it? Well, thank you very much, kind sir. I appreciate that. I think. It might be a bit like the Noah New Japan crossover show, which was highly hyped early in the year. It was very well received, but not a ton of stuff happened because the politics of the situation wouldn't allow it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of expecting a lot of 10-man tags and big six-man tags, but I'm not expecting Kazuchi Hokkaido versus Hangman Page in a combined championship match because that's not going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you might get a couple of cool singles matches, and there are a couple of cool single matches I'd like to see. I'd like to see Orange Cassidy versus Minoru Suzuki. And I'd like to see Tomohiro Ishii versus Daniel Bryan, actually. I think that was, sorry, Bryan Danielson. It's because I've watched this show and I've got the wrong name on my brain. <coughs> I'd like a couple of those kind of standout matches because I know I'm not going to get the thing you really want. I'm not going to get Tanahashi versus CM Punk. You might get that in a six-man tag, but you're not going to get it straight up. So I have a feeling it's going to be the cool thing that gets you to the even cooler thing somewhere down the line once they've figured out the politics of everything, in my mm. opinion. What about you, Matt? Do you have any thoughts on the show? I, I do. I mean, it's, um, as, as those sort of may or may not know, my um, sort of knowledge is a little bit on the thin side when it comes to sort of Japanese uh, wrestlers and Japanese wrestling. So, so I'm still learning. But for me... There's no downside with this. This is a win-win for everybody. You know, there's potential matches that we haven't seen before. I've no doubt that it's going to end up probably being a really good show. And whenever they have had some of these guys come over and guest, you know, you know, Minoru Suzuki is an example. It's been great. You know, when some AEW guys have gone over there, it's been great. And, you know, to, to finally get a, you know, a big show with them all crossing over together, it, it's a show I'm very much looking forward to. There's literally no downside of this. So if anybody can see it, go, go out your way to watch it, I reckon. What about you, Sam? What are your thoughts on this? Because you're, you're not known for your love of pro wrestling, are you? No. Matt's touched upon the thing that will bother me. Well, you kind of both touched on it. If there's one thing I hate about a wrestling show, it's a loving. And I'm a little yeah. bit worried because of the politicking that will be going on. This will be a loving. It'll be everyone shaking hands, everyone raising the other's arm as they beat them at the end of the matches. And that will infuriate me. <laughs> and uh, I've, I also have, um, I've stopped watching AEW completely. I don't watch any New Japan anyway. But the little bits that I catch every now and then are, of AEW, they're too spotty for me. Right. They're like a little chicken popped teenager. They are <laughs> like, I've realised this over doing this podcast more than anything. When you concentrate on something, you're trying to pick stuff out. I like a story and I don't get a whole lot of story. And I'm not going to get a whole lot of story with this. To be honest, I won't watch it, I don't think. The only way I would watch it is if I was with someone and they put it on and they were like, do you fancy watching this? I'd be like, have you paid for it? Yes, cool. 
I'm in. But if they were like, do you want to check in 750 for this? I'd be a bit like, well, I don't know about that. It's a really cool idea. And I hope what you said, James, comes true in that they do this again, because yeah. then you can get these things to get. I think they will, because I think they'll do pretty good business out of it. One interesting thing, I heard um, it was Eric Bischoff was talking about this. I read an interview with him and he was saying the people who want to watch it will watch it. The people who aren't interested in watching it won't watch it. There's no outside appeal for this. There's yeah. no no casual WWE fan, hello, Yeah, is, is going to go, God, I'll tell you what, bloody fancy a bit of that. So it's be quite interesting. I, mean, I think they'll make enough money because I think there'll be enough people who are interested in it. But it's a tough spot. I mean, well, the tickets the, flew. Yeah, this, and this is the thing. There was a, a guy who writes for um, Forbes, whose name I can't remember, who caused a lot of heat for himself on Twitter by saying that all the men watch AEW, which is like patently untrue. <laughs> and then said they're going to have a real hard time selling tickets for this. It's just, just not going to go. I mean, it's, it's the wrong time of year. They haven't done enough promotion for it. And they sold every ticket out in 40 minutes. To which, of course, he said, oh, it's just the men that watch the show. I think that's the, I think you're right in that sense, but I also don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not convinced mm. that there is much more of an audience that AEW can grab. They're doing pretty steady growth. Their TV mm. numbers are consistent. I'm not one of these people that's going to hang my hat on, oh, they lost 10,000 viewers last week. Impact Wrestling's had 60,000 viewers for the last four years, and it doesn't really seem to make any difference. They're still there. They still hang around. They, they, make, they produce cheap television that fills two hours, and that's sometimes mm-hmm. all you actually need to do to exist. I mean, Ring of Honor have had 20 years of existing on the fact that they can produce an hour worth of TV every week, and that's all they needed to do. I think Bischoff's right, but I also don't necessarily think that's a negative. It's Mm. just, you know, it brings New Japan fans to AEW. And one one of the big deals with Ring of Honor deal with New Japan is it brought New Japan fans to Ring of Honor because women would watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's about 40% of their audience in Japan and a large part of their audience in the US absolutely would not go to a Ring of Honor show because it is the most masculine of wrestling promotions and just not their thing. But I know a lot of female fans who went to the New Japan crossover shows because they wanted to go get Tetsuya Nato's autograph. And what's wrong with that? So, <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't want Tetsuya Nato's autograph? He's cool. No, I'll be honest. I don't really know who he is. So you, uh... Uh, you will like this attitude, right? <laughs> I've got to tell you this story, Sam, because you will love this story. This is rumored to be true, but it's one of those things that is probably true. Apparently, Triple H sent the top bods to go scout Tetsuya Nato and they took him to dinner for a fancy restaurant in Tokyo and they were trying to poach him from when his next New Japan deal came up and he went to the bathroom and escaped through the bathroom window. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> God, I hope uh, that was true. <laughs> it's one of those stories you want to be true, even if it's not yeah. true. You've got to love the arrogance, haven't you? Like, <laughs> Triple H is like, I really want to sign this guy. Oh, do, you want to, do you want to fly out and meet with him? That'd be quite the... No. No, I'll just send these corporate bodies. <laughs> Who do you reckon? Of the, I'm guessing they sent... Let's say they sent two former WWE guys who are working backstage. Who do you reckon they sent? I would send they would have sent A Train, Prince Albert, because he's yeah. a former New Japan guy. So there's one guy. I'm hoping it won't be Bill Demott. <laughs> <laughs> Regal, maybe, or possibly, I would think. Yeah. Because he's got what? he's got connections. It was before Devitt went, so or after Devitt went. So maybe Devitt, but I doubt it. Because Devitt maybe mm. needed in the States. So sorry, Bella, I do apologize. Do you reckon they, they just sent Jamie Noble? Yeah. But in full Jamie Noble garb, like dressed as a hick as well. <laughs> what a guy. I mean, it's also like NATO doesn't watch any other wrestling apart from New Japan. He considers 
other people, other wrestling not to exist. So he has to ask other roster members, like, did we sign a new guy? Because you watch the other stuff. That's it. I just really, really respect that. Yeah. Just like, no, this is my thing. This is my company. I'm not interested. Yeah, that's it. This it is the... It's kind of like a wrestling version of Vince McMahon. Yeah. Just, just nothing but WWE. And then other people go, if you're about this or no, don't care. Oh, there's, there's this guy. <laughs> there's this guy who's like world champion somewhere. He's like, let's bring him in. Don't know who he is. So he's going to have to try out in front of me. <laughs> pants only. <laughs> Tights? No, pants. Well, that, that was another story this week because there's been rumours about Kota Ibushi wanting out of his New Japan contract. And someone someone remembered the story that Kota Ibushi was in the Cruiserweight Classic a couple of years ago and Vince McMahon went down to see what was going on. Kota Ibushi didn't know who he was. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Kota's on a different plane to the rest of us absolutely truly is evidently so we should move on to our expectations for this show matt where did you place yourself when it came to watching this show well as listeners of the show may have started to realize that this sort of era is is around pretty much my era i i started watching uh sort of in 2001 and by the 2010s i didn't miss a show every week i never missed a pay-per-view and you know p- peak smart fan quote unquote <laughs> Of that sort of stage, you know, so I do remember this show, not not ridiculously well, but I remembered what the main event was. So already my expectations were pretty bloody low. But then at the same time, I do remember that this featured the one of the rare uh, CM Punk and Daniel Bryanson um, or Daniel Bryan matches. Should, <laughs> Daniel Bryanson. It's one of those. Let's face it. I'm going to mess that name up throughout the, throughout the rest of the show. But whatever. You know who I'm talking about. I might just call him American Dragon just to throw everybody completely off. <laughs> so that I do remember that that match was on the show. I do remember that being pretty great when I thought about it. Those were the only two that I could really remember that sort of stuck out so in terms of expectations it, it pretty much was 50 50 but that's certainly what my expectation was going in that the rest of the car was just forgettable we'll go to sam because he might have a different take on this that is slightly more positive as i feel mine might be closer to matt's than to sam's so what i've done with a lot of these shows because this is uh towards the tail end of may in 2012 i kind of look back up until you get about to the mid-june part i did this last year so i kind of think back to the wrestlemania so right, WrestleMania 28, cool. What happened to WrestleMania 28? So we had the uh, Cena and the Rock, number one, once in a lifetime, cool, cool, cool. What else? What else? Hang on, what else? <laughs> and I couldn't remember at all. I couldn't remember anything. And this isn't one of those where, oh, I couldn't really remember anything. <laughs> oh, how shit that was. This is legitimately, I couldn't remember anything from the card. And I was like, this isn't a good sign now. I do need to prefix this with, I watched WrestleMania 28 with Tommy and Tinky around Tommy's parents' house after I'd finished work, after we'd done a charity golf thing, and I'd had a couple of beers, and I was quite tired. And I actually left before the main event, so I was so tired, I was like, I'm just going to moan my way through this. So I'm just going to leave. I'm going to take myself out of the situation. So that might explain why I can't remember anything, but to not remember a, th- a single thing, apart from the palm trees that I think were around the ring, I was a bit like, oh, this might not be great. And I was trying to think who's on the roster, come up with a few names, and I was I was middling. But I also had no clue what the main event was going to be. So I knew Lesnar came back at Extreme Rules and faced Cena in a ripping little belt. 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 There we go. <laughs> but uh, I couldn't see Brock Lesnar being on over the limit 2012 with the greatest respect to the North Carolina crowd so I was 
hesitant to press play, <laughs> I'll say, because also, we'll get into this. We're not, like, spoiling it necessarily if people haven't watched it. The main story arc running through the show, I wasn't sure if this was now or post-SummerSlam, and it's now. And when I realised that, I was a bit like, it's one of those where my bollocks went back inside myself a little bit. So I was a bit like, oh, no, because of the things that come with it. Yeah. See, I, in one sense, I had no expectations because I did not watch WWE in this period of wrestling. I have not watched WWE regularly since 2002-ish, quite famously amongst the wrestling journalists um, fraternity <laughs> on the grounds. One of my former editors said, uh, from my first story with the magazine, I'd like you to write a feature on Becky Lynch. And my response was, who? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, what do you mean, who? I said, I don't watch WWE. Never have watched WWE. I kind of stopped watching around the WCW takeover. And after that, it was like, because I was a WCW fan first before I really got back into WWE. So it was kind of like, it kind of killed everything for me, really. Now I'm looking back on it. And so I'm trying to figure out the decisions that were made about that particular time, about my wrestling kind of enjoyment. It kind of stopped because there was one big company to enjoy and it wasn't like you could get New Japan or Noah or all the stuff I watch now very easily available so in one sense I had no expectations going into this card and I kind of watched it with a fairly open mind dreading the idea of some matches as I went to the cage match page just to find out who was on the particular card because I obviously had no clue intrigued by some names because I know them by other names now and really enjoy their work now and intrigued by some of the people who were there because they didn't wrestle the way I expected them to because unlike you Sam I tend to watch matches for the sake of matches because that's the way I enjoy wrestling I can sit and watch a match a card like this with absolutely no context and enjoy the good wrestling that's there so for me it's more about wrestling content, which I know is not the way everyone watches professional wrestling, because Matt's probably the best example of this, as we are yin and yang, that he likes a good story, I like a good match. And I think that it does allow me on this on occasions like this where I can actually just enjoy the card for the sake of enjoying the card. So we've got the whole spectrum we're coming at it from. We've got every whole field to its maximum. <laughs> And now, and, and now we've just got a pleasure someone's ears with it. Yes. Are you suggesting <laughs> this podcast is airtight, Sam? Well, yes, I would be, yeah. And I don't know how we're, I don't know how we're going to get out of it. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I think there's a phrase you use very often on this show, full or not just yet. The actual card is the actual card itself opened with a dark match, which was Kane defeating Zack Ryder in six minutes and fifty-five seconds, which whoa, what a shame we missed that, eh? If you're Kane and Zack Ryder, right, I mean, Zack Ryder in particular, Long Island IC, and you're looking at, so we'll get into this after we've gone through our little talking points. We'll obviously go through the card in general. And who knows, this might be one of our talking points. But when you get to the Battle Royal and uh, they take you aside, they're like, oh, Zack, pre-show. Oh, yeah, Battle Royal. Battle Royal. I'm, I'm winning the Battle Royal. <laughs> no, no, you're getting defeated by Kane in just under seven minutes. Oh, all right. So half empty arena, which is half empty anyway. So it's like a quarter empty. <laughs> Hang on, no, a quarter full. Fuck no, it's confusing trying to keep <laughs> up with these <laughs> with these attendances. Oh, and we should say, to give him his proper due, the current NWA heavyweight champion of the world, Zack Ryder. Ah, yeah, a man who's apparently been boasting about being booked up until November. There you go. You can't argue job. with that, can you? In the prime of his career, because, I mean, let, let me tell you, I'm not sure how much you guys remember. I, 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 can, I can certainly tell you the storyline that he was involved in with Kane was the drizzling shit. 
was <laughs> really, really bad. He got screwed over big time in that. Like, like you mentioned there, old man, you, you were struggling to think of anything um, that happened at WrestleMania. Um, the one with The Rock and Cena. Again, like I said, because I remember just a little bit more because it was more like what I watched at the time. That was the one where basically Eve Torres, if anybody remembers her, I'm pretty sure it's Eve Gracie now, had her WrestleMania moment where she kicked Zack Ryder in the balls. <laughs> basically cost i can't remember the it was like a tag team match he was in for T- teddy versus team johnny for the the power you know of, of raw and smackdown mm. and basically eve kicking zach in the balls cost of the match this was after zach had been i think kane put him in a wheelchair and pushed him off the stage at one point it, it, it was just bloody weird but yeah that's zach zach was screwed so the the quicker he got away from kane the better i think this was the end of that if i remember and he channeled that rage into being the hottest indie heel in five years but good for them good for that yes yes this is he's finally getting his due now we've got that out of the way let's talk about your favorite moments for the card sam so talking point from this show i remember there's, there's the obvious one which i feel like we don't want to go to. So I'm go- you know what, let's do it. Because I bloody hate this guy. Let's go with Ryback defeating Camacho. <laughs> this is an absolute classic. As it, so this is them two having a scrap. Now, uh, Camacho, I, on my notes, when I was writing this, who is this? Camacho, any memories of him? James? Yeah, that would be your uh, Tango Lower, your uh, former five times IWGP tag team champion. And currently on a massive push as he's turned babyface against Bullet Club and arguably one of the biggest gaging stars in Japan. Yeah. Ah! This is like the ultimate job as well. <laughs> this is the way that they come down to the ring. Uh, Hunico is with him, who I'm assuming is his manager or his, or his pal. Maybe it's just his pal. And he's uh, they're walking down to the ring. They're giving all the chat. They're like, oh, I'm going to beat this guy. He's big and he's muscly, but he's going to beat him. And then right back comes down. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be ugly. This is going to be ugly. So I just hope, I hope it goes three seconds. That's it. Picks him up. It's that little, what is it, shell shock thing. Yeah. And then they're done. Lovely old job. But no, this is, uh, this is green right back. Now, green right back is like, whereas like some wrestlers would, so I talked about Roman Reigns the other week when he was fighting the big show and how green he looked, how fresh he looked. He, you see it in his eyes, he didn't have that like full confidence in himself. Say that kind of green, that would be like a little shoot, a little shoot in a pot. A little, little, little bit, little saplings coming out, lovely old job. A green Ryback would be soil. Not not even a seed, not even a seed. Because he didn't even get to sapling stage during his prime run. And we, we've talked about Ryback enough, like he's always over. But I'll tell you what, he's not over here. The crowd ain't having him. They're Goldberg in them. Goldberg in the shit out of him. And I'm like, oh, that's a bit mean, isn't it? And I was like, oh, he's a bit of a bella moni. But uh, I was racking my brains trying to think legitimately of someone who is worse, who got to a main event level in WWE. And I was like, I can't think of anyone that's legitimately worse than this guy. Like, this guy is throwing some punches here. He tries to kick Camacho. I don't know what he's trying to do. But he ends up <laughs> almost killing the man's hip. Because he lifts his legs too late to try and kick in. He hits a clothesline that like he's a big old unit right back. He's got a very tough reputation for being stiff. He's so bad, he can't even stiff him. 
Yeah. He's just doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> and then he hits this horrible what a fucking shell shock. I keep on wanting to call it a future shock, but that's the DDT <laughs> that someone does. And uh yeah, he gets him up in this shell shock. And uh I remember hearing it was it wasn't punk, it was someone else talk about he got dumped in the shell shock, and what Ryback would do was he would grasp their heads. Yeah. So he'd be pulling their necks into his shoulder. And there's a wrestler. It was just after Punk's Diatribe. podcast had yeah. come out. <laughs> yeah. And then a wrestler who I think might have been with WWE at the time backed him up. And he said, yeah, yeah, he did it on me. Almost broke my neck. And I was watching him do it. And I was just cringing, just thinking this is absolutely horrendous. And the reason why I think this is worse than just getting that move done is because poor Camacho, he probably has five moves done on him. I'll bet he couldn't walk for a week. Yeah, yeah. Horrendous stuff. He is the worst, the worst of the worst. And I hope for his sake, he never comes back to wrestling because someone will kill him. If he goes anywhere that's not <laughs> WWE, where he'll be protected a little. Can you imagine if he went over to Japan, James? There's some lads over there that would have a real nice time with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be enjoyable for him. Hang on, um, are we talking a wrestling sense or like... Uh, uh, well, <laughs> there, 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 there may be some kink towards it, put it that way, but purely for Beautiful. purposes. Uh, but yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. This yeah, is the drizzling shit. And Camacho, as you were saying, I actually did him. I actually went back and pushed to check. He's actually a seven-time IWGP Tag Team Champion. Uh, he's the most successful tag team wrestler in New Japan with him with his brother Tamatonga who are because this is the bit that gets me like if I want to know one thing are we WWE or we they always go after the guys that are their guys who were trained by them former athletes with a strong connect family connection to professional wrestling so you're telling me the former professional football playing son of Haku can't get over with the brass in WWE to the point where a famous Tongan is portrayed as a Mexican yeah and there's a level of racism to that I'm not comfortable with. And also, nowadays, he has the best-named finisher in wrestling, which is apeshit. Obviously, just before you come in, Matt, like, Haku's got the reputation of being the toughest man ever in wrestling. <laughs> like, he is. Why, yeah, what, why would you disrespect his son in such a way? <laughs> I'd be afraid he'd come to my house. <laughs> What's your thoughts on this one, Matt? Do you know what? There is so much that can be said on Ryback. As it relates to the performance of this show, yeah, I, I agree with both of you. It, it wasn't good, and he wasn't any good at this point. That being said, and as much as I hate to say it, because I think the the person, I think Ryback the person, and I'll say it now, is a dick, and I have no problem saying that. I am one of the many people he's blocked on Twitter. Um, <laughs> yes, I can't remember what the conversation was over, he said some bullshit years ago that I called him out on, and before I knew it, I was blocked. Honestly, that, the guy gets my goat up. He really does. But that being said, eventually, he got better. He wasn't by any means the smoothest technician in the world. But you know what? He was half decent. And, you know, for a time where, you know, with the exception of maybe, say, John Cena... And um, that was the only guy at the time that they created as a brand new star. Ryback was the closest thing that they'd come to in years 
which is absolutely astonishing when you consider how shit he was when he started. <laughs> and I, can't, I think it was after this. Um, he, he eventually went on to, you know, to, to face CM Punk infamously in in a Hell in a Cell match where, yeah, basically he lost and they booked themselves into a rock and a hard place. It was it was Punk's like a thousand day reign or whatever, you know, whatever it was yeah. with that and. Basically, either Punk's reign had to go or Ryback had to lose, and and they chose Ryback losing, and and, and it killed any momentum he had. But fast forward about a year, the night after WrestleMania 29, I think it was, it was one of the featured bloody guys on the show. This is the roar after WrestleMania, which maybe not so much now, but but over the years and in the past, as we all know, the roar after WrestleMania has been you know one of the most popular Raw shows of the year, and he was the most featured. Fucking performance on the entire card. <laughs> How does that happen when he's not that good? But it just got to a point where, like I said, he was okay, and they give him a shot. I mean, evidently it didn't work in the end, but you know they tried, and and for a brief moment there, it looked like the future of WWE could have been bloody Ryback of all people. Well, I think we we were all saved from that horror by circumstance. You're right, as far as like being over is concerned, I do remember like catching glimpses of him on Twitter and the friends did love him. And you know, some of the most over wrestlers ever have been awful. So they've not been particularly great performers. It's just how you deliver it. And that is that is the trouble you're right for so like with Ryback. Any monster, whether it's a babyface monster or a heel monster, if you set them up as undefeatable and then they lose half their attraction is gone. It's really hard to go down that road. So I think he had numerous things playing against him, far too many to make it viable for him to be a, a top pro for a long time. And I'll go on a limb now as well and say that, and I honestly think he'll never be back in WWE. That, that If ever there's a guy who will never, ever, ever come back, and, and I honestly don't think he'll ever come back to wrestling, he will never be back in WWE again. So what's your talking point from this show, Matthew? My talking point for this show is Dolph Ziggler. It's not not specifically Dolph Ziggler. The <laughs> Dolph Ziggler is what kind of brought it to the forefront a bit. It's, I watched this show and I thought, when did this air? I was like, right, okay, this was what, 2012? So 10 years ago, and Dolph Ziggler is still a featured regular 10 years on. Now, like I said, Dolph Ziggler was the guy that brought that for the, to the forefront for me. Because then also uh, Seamus was also on the show. And I thought, bloody hell, there's another one. And I think it was Miz as well. So there's a couple of guys where I was like, they've really been on like every show, every pay-per-view for 10 years now. And it really struck me because when you think of like, you know, some of the biggest stars ever, when you think of guys like, you know, Stone Cold and The Rock and how short their careers at the top were, you know, what, five years, six years, seven years, something like that. But these guys have been on the show nonstop for 10 years. And it, it just, as, as a viewer, you know, not, I don't, I don't need to think that I'm thinking bad of the performer specifically now. I'm literally thinking as just a viewer. I was thinking, it's time for them to go somewhere else. I mean, to, to be fair, Dolph Ziggler these days tends to be on NXT a lot um, and seems to be going more into that sort of role which I think is great. I think he needs to be in that more that type of role because 
let's face it, what can they do with a guy like Dolph Ziggler that's different from what they've tried over the last 10 years? They, they've literally done it all with him. This, he needs to go more into that. You know, you guys like Sheamus as well. Miz, I, I feel, I'm actually going to defend the Miz here. I can't even believe I'm saying that, but <laughs> I, I, I feel he's managed to, he's managed to make himself still feel relatively fresh despite being on TV all that time. And, I still think Miz has legs. Sheamus kind of as well, but yeah, it, it was particularly dull for me when I, I just thought, you know, the show stealer thing. And I just thought, my God, I was like, if ever there's a time or there was a character who they just need to repackage and just send elsewhere, he, he's the guy. T- 10 consistent years is too long. And I even look back, I'm sure it was 2008 that he debuted. So it was even longer than that. So I was like, no, that's, no, time to go. Time to go. You, you're basically, <laughs> you're channeling your inner Tommy today. Because Tommy, <laughs> so to, Tommy's got his little cunt list. Well, I say little. It's, it's about as it's old as his arm now. But Dolph Ziggler and Sheamus are on there. Do you know what? Again, and it's not, I don't want people to think, you know, it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm wishing them to be fired. But like, if I got to watch this thing every week, which, you know, I, I typically try to watch Raw as often as I can and WWE as often as I can. If I go to watch this regularly, I want something new. I, I can't stick the same shit week after week after week after week for over 10 years. It's like, come on. And like I said, I, Dolph Ziggler in particular is just the biggest offender. So I can understand what you're saying. It is like, I hate to say it because I watch Japanese wrestling, but, but this is a good example of this. They still have guys like Nagata and Tenzan from the 90s and, and Kojima from the early 2000s. They're just wrestling opening matches and they get the young guys over. That's their job. And they're, they're in their 40s. And when some when they need to wrestle somebody, they pull the emergency cord and Yuji Nagata has a match with Akada and it's absolutely brilliant. And then he goes back to doing opening matches again because that's his job. And they don't really have that. I suppose going down to NXT is their equivalent of that. But they don't really have that expectation that people are just going to be guys who get guys over. You know, they've still got to be treated as stars because of what they did before, which leaves you stuck. Because especially now with AEW, you don't want to let a name talent go who's loyal to the company and wants to stay. So you kind of get stuck with that Roddy Strong position of we can't really afford to let you go, even though we have got nothing to do to do. Yeah, he's a, he's a funny one, Zipper, because I don't hate him. And over the time in this podcast watching him, I kind of appreciated him a bit more. But to your point, Matt, his entrance is exactly the same in this show as it would be if he walked out. So we're recording this on a Thursday evening. If he walked out on SmackDown tomorrow night, it would be exactly the same. He'd be doing the same little ass wobble, the same flick of his hair. Lovely old job. He had that phase where he, uh, where he straightened his hair which I thought was a decent old look, just because it made him look a bit different. He did look like a very strange dog. But, <laughs> but I, I appreciated the effort. But I do completely agree, kind of in a weird way with both of you, because I like Ziggler, Ziggler's thing is that he can oversell with the best of them to the point where it's not any good. And Tommy has, I think he probably has on this podcast as well, compared him to Mr. Perfect in that sense, in that Mr. Perfect, every now and then, would oversell so much that it would you'd lose any impact if the match wasn't really, really good. And I know Tommy mentioned this one the other week, SummerSlam 1991. Perfect is selling everywhere, over the top for Bret Hart, but it works because everyone's invested. When Sigler is doing this type of thing, 
that he is on this, and we'll go through the match a bit later on, but he's kind of all right in it because he's only selling a little. <clears throat> I think the problem is, is that he's lost so many matches that I think even in the short-term wrestling fans' memory, he's not really able on the main roster to get people over. But then, like you said, what he did at NXT, NXT 2.0, to use its full name, mm-hmm. he managed to get older, old small Rick Steiner like, over <laughs> a little bit. Although that being said, I now have no idea what he's doing, old small mm-hmm. Rick Steiner, because he's not involved with Dolph Ziggler. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting thing. To, I was really surprised when he um, went off Ziggler beat him and then he obviously won it back on WrestleMania weekend. I don't know why they did that. I don't know yeah. why they didn't have Small Rick Steiner lose the title on WrestleMania weekend and then have him debut on Raw, either the Monday or the week after or the week after. It's a weird one, but there's WWE in it. And yeah. Sheamus. Sheamus is a whole different kettle of fish because... He is so capable of having great hard-hitting matches, but he's got so few opponents to do that with that I think that's where he just really struggles. Like he had a match with, I think it was Riddle at uh, uh, WrestleMania last year. Yeah. Mm. And they kicked the piss out of each other, and it was absolutely brilliant. It did exactly what it should do. Sheamus do what he does. Riddle come out of it looking like a million bucks on WrestleMania weekend. Lovely old job. Use him for that. They yeah. use him for this. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, old man. And like, there's there's some opponents that he that he does have that with, where they just beat the shit out of each other. Like, you know, Riddle is one of them. Drew McIntyre is another one of them. They they had some really good matches, particularly during the, the, the pandemic, um, over the last you know couple of months. They they've had some real really good bangers. But other than that, who is it there that he hasn't faced before and he hasn't done it all against? It's it, it's just all same old, same old and. You know, even when he tried to, you know, freshen his look up. I mean, what, what did he do? He basically plaited his beard, you know, that, that, which is hardly the biggest look change in the world. You know, I mean, God bless him for trying, but oh, I, I don't know what's left for him. Money. Money, money, yeah. money. Lots of money. Money with more money on yeah. top. With some money icing. Uh, <laughs> There didn't appear to be an awful lot of build-up to this match, and it kind of showed. There was nothing wrong with this match, as far as I could tell. It was perfectly fun. It was a good kind of tag team match, and actually pretty exciting in places. I kind of enjoyed it, to be honest. Vicky Guerrero comes out and gives an impromptu promo to introduce her new tag team of Dolph Ziegler and Jack Swagger, as they challenge for the WWE Tag Team Championships held by Kofi Kingston, as I wrote down, hey, it's Ron Killings. No, our truth <laughs> in um, WWE uh, land. It was kind of what I expected WWE tag team match that I've watched from the series to be like. And it, I think as like the first show on a pay-per-view, I appreciate matches like this that are fast-paced. And you've got Kofi Kingston who can make anything interesting. You know, he's one of the WWE guys I totally respect because he he goes out of his way to do cool stuff and make you think that you're at a cool event and you're doing, you know, the cool thing. And I fully appreciate him. And the other three guys are no slouches. They know what they're doing. But... It, it it was okay as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Sam, what's your thoughts on this one? So these are four people in these incarnations. I don't really have a lot of interest in watching. Mm. At this point, old Kofi, whatever it was, I don't know what the character... is. the thing. There's no character for poor Kofi, and yet he fucking made it work. He's yeah. a hero. Old Ron Killens <laughs> comes down with little Jimmy, which reminded me 
every now and then, like, I'll be talking about wrestling with someone and they'll pop into me and say, oh, you remember little Jimmy? That's fucking good shit, man. And he just <laughs> does. He does a couple of little things. So he's like, calls them out from the backstage area and then he just lowers the rope. But he doesn't over-egg it. So it's just very little subtle things that even the commentators don't acknowledge, which I really appreciated because I was like, I feel like I'm in on a secret here. No one else has noticed. A <laughs> little Jimmy's in there. Then you've got Ziggler and Swagger. And I'm like, Swagger, the one thing he's got going for him, and me, Tommy, and Tiggy have said this, we got a good friend of ours, Luke. He looks like Luke. That's the one thing he's got going for him. Because <laughs> I just don't think he's... I can't figure out if he's not very good and he just doesn't grasp like the psychology side of it or whether he's just so poorly booked that he's never really given a hope in hell. But this match is exactly what you said, James. I think it's absolutely fine. And it does that WWE thing. Someone's getting worked over. Our troops getting worked over for 13 minutes, 44 seconds. Probably getting worked over for eight of these minutes, I reckon. Yeah. It's worth it for the hot tag because the crowd, fair fucks to this crowd, through the whole show as well, I think, because uh, you know what's coming in the main event and they fucking stick with it. They are so hot for the hot tag to Kofi. And then Ziggler is doing what he does best. He is selling his absolute fucking bollocks off. Mm. Selling his bollocks off for Kofi. And the uh, the faces come back. The last minute or two are absolutely cracking stuff. And you because of that, you forgive the quite bland and generic first 10 minutes, 10 or so minutes, because when you get that little hot tag right, it's just cracking stuff. And that's all you remember. That's all you want. That's all you want, lads. It reminds me of with the last time I was on the show, we looked at the Royal Rumble from mm. 1990, and it opened with the Bushwhackers versus the Rougeaus, which on paper sounds dreadful. Yes. <laughs> but you watch it, and they're both old-school territory tag teams who now have to work a crowd, and they've caused riots. Both teams have caused riots in Puerto Rico, so they just did what they needed to do. And it wasn't a wrestling classic by any stretch of the imagination, but the crowd went mental for the hot tag. And that's what WWE tag wrestling of any era does really, really well. And I think that's what kind of this was the spiritual son of that, if that makes sense. Yes. Matt, what's your thoughts on this one? Do you know, what? I, I, th- I think my my memories um, of the match at the time and the tag team division overall at the time may have slightly clouded my vision on this because it, it, it wasn't for me. I, I particularly remember that this really wasn't a good time uh, for tag teams in WWE. I mean, don't get me wrong. When has there been a good time for tag teams in WWE over the last, you know, 10 plus years? But th- this was particularly rough where they'd put guys together completely at random. And whereas occasionally today they'll try and um, put, you know, try and do something to make them look like a team. Back then, it was just this personality, this personality, your team, do whatever. And I, I didn't really feel that it worked. Uh, I mean, Swagger and Dolph Ziggler don't feel like a team. You know, at the time, Jamaican Kofi Kingston and R-Truth didn't really feel like a team. Kind of boring and generic was, was pretty much what, what I thought of the match overall. I mean, for me, the highlight was still how incredibly over Vicky Guerrero and those two words of excuse and me seem to have been over at the time, which still to this day amazes me that somebody can get that much heat from saying two words. But yeah, it, it was it was fine by the end. I mean, the last minute picked up a bit, but it, it wasn't my cup of tea, shall we say. No, I can understand that. I can see where you're coming from. And I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say if like, I'd want to watch this every week, 
but it just strikes me as good quality wrestling for the audience that's in front of and that's kind of what you're supposed to do you mentioned that uh vicky guerrero can the little excuse me promo what she does <laughs> so there's this for those who don't what we can we can lift the lid on the little secret that we've been hiding so the secret is is that the main event is laurelitis versus cena <gasps> yeah spoiler <laughs> alert <laughs> people power john laurelitis versus john cena cena wins laurelitis has been fired if cena loses don't really know what happens to cena nothing from what i understand (laughs) but yeah so uh there's this big thing about the board of directors running through the show and uh vicky does this lovely little thing when she comes out she says it excuse me and then says hello to everyone and then just does this little cute wave and says hello to the board of directors at home and i was like oh vicky she's such a fucking pro at doing those little things and just adding some importance because the king have been waffling all about it before they show the video and just before Vicky comes out, they show this great video of people power. People power. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. John, John Mucklorinitis, by the sound of it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do this lovely little, like, crap video, which is just really well done. And it, it almost got me excited for the main event. <laughs> but, but not quite. But not, not quite, quite. Not quite. No. no. And uh, after this match, we get more good stuff. So you get Tyler Rex and Kurt Hawkins with Eve Torres, Eve Gracie, who got mentioned earlier. And uh, Rex and Hawkins are evidently despicable heels who have bought into people power because they've been uh, they've been told to go into the crowd and remove signs from people, which is completely legal, apparently. <laughs> and uh, David Otunga, who's obviously been in the uh, battle world, completely shirtless, just stood there, just drinking his coffee. Started his just... shirt off and his coffee cap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the kind of thing, right? That I, what's the fucking point? But I quite liked it because from memory, my timeline may be wrong, but this is around about the period that WWE were getting a lot of heat from fans online for taking signs off people that said yeah. stuff that they didn't want stuff on. And I quite liked the little play on real life on this. Don't get me wrong. It's completely derailed by David Sunger, shirtless, drinking coffee. <laughs> because I'm just like, why is he there? He's not doing anything. And like, why is he shirtless? And yeah. why is he drinking coffee? <laughs> yeah, the weird old thing. The only other notes I had on that tag match was Cole starts burying people on a regular basis all the way through this card, which I'm not entirely comfortable with because I thought the point was for you to get people over. I understand he's a heel, but surely there's a way you can do that without just burying people all the time. Mm. It struck me as, well, overbearing, to say the least, because I don't want my play-by-play guy to be a heel because then I can't lose myself in the match because I'm just annoyed all the time. Oh, but you, you guys don't know the half of it. Honestly, for so long had to hear Mike, you know, heal Michael Cole go on and on and on and on and on. It, it was absolutely, it was just insufferable for ages. Yeah, the, the, this was just a slight sample of what it was like. It, it was never any good. My talking point is, funnily enough, as a man in the news, is Mr. Cody Rhodes. Because I watched this match that he wrestled for the uh, Intercontinental Championship. I'm guessing this is about three years before he left WWE to go on to Ring of Honor and Impact and the indie circuit, New Japan. 
And I remember watching him on Impact the first time I'd seen him actually properly wrestle a wrestling match because I don't never watched any of his WWE stuff and thinking this is a guy wrestling like I expect a WWE wrestler to wrestle like, but in the wrong place, if that makes sense. Especially when he was in New Japan because it was like you're trying to do storytelling matches in a style that's slightly too different to what you're trying to do in the environment you're in impact's okay because impact's like a mishmash of everything but sticking a wwe guy into ring of honor or into new japan there's a very stringent set of rules that make things work and there was some matches he had in ring of honor that just didn't go (laughs) it was just like it was just like watching jigsaw putting the wrong piece of the jigsaw in the place it just didn't fit and so when i watched this i was kind of expecting to see this kind of super smooth storyteller that i had in my head that he was and sam's making a face at me but i thought he would be and i watched this and i didn't hate it i didn't think it was wrong but his style was a lot more free and a lot more free moving than i thought it was and it made me appreciate the matches he had more that i'd seen when he left wwe if that makes sense Mm because i saw them in a different light and it's like i don't necessarily think some of the misses he had outside of wwe were necessarily his fault because you know in the wwe he actually was a free-flowing wrestler and he had the rotation kick he does off the ropes, and I can't remember the name of it, but he'd do that off the steps and he'd do that in different places, which is something he wouldn't dream of doing on the indie circuit because it's just, it's most dangerous in one of certain places. But, you know, he, he seemed to be a lot freer to do his style of thing and didn't look like a WWE wrestler whilst he was in the WWE. And then when he got out of the WWE, he looked very much like a WWE wrestler. And I found that just suspicious juxtaposition a bit unnerving, to be honest with you. But it meant I kind of enjoy him more now. I appreciate him more, which is insane because I won't be watching him because he's in WWE. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, um, I think he's only about 25, 26 at this point yeah. mm. as well. So he's still, I mean, he's, I think he started properly, properly wrestling at about 17, but he's still reasonably young. He's also in there with Christian as well, which I think yes. is... Christian's terrible hair. <laughs> terrible hair Christian has in this match. But that's just pure jealousy. Hey, come on, that's cheap. That's very cheap. <laughs> Although it is good to hear that you're, you're getting in the flow. Just, uh, <laughs> I, I, I am just, just texting Tinky just to say, yeah, can we cut Matt, please? Because, uh... <laughs> but yeah, he's an interesting one, Cody, because I remember, ooh, when was it? It was the. Alpha versus Omega in New Japan, the mm. first one. And I paid for New Japan World because I really wanted to see that because I was listening to Jericho's podcast at the moment and he sold me at the little bugger. And uh, <laughs> Rita had a match on that. And I can remember thinking, I was like, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. Mm. And then not seeing anything of him and then seeing his match with his brother, so with Goldust, well, Dustin. Yeah. Uh, all which one was it all in or all out i can't remember and uh it was cracking and they just told this lovely storyline driven match and i was like oh yeah i like a bit of that and uh i've only seen this match with rollins and mania that was exactly what it was yeah. just lovely just uh, just work a little body part work a little body just to, give me some give me some to hang my hat on <laughs> and then I'll, I'll carry you through the journey and i'll be good there you go any thoughts on cody rose matt Many thoughts on Cody Rhodes. I'm so I'm so glad you brought him up because, well, as as Oman will tell you, and and as listeners know, over the last uh, couple of months, I'm a big fan of Cody Rhodes at the moment. I'd go so far as to say, as besides from maybe Roman Reigns, he's probably the most watchable thing in WWE at the moment. Uh, the, the, for me, he's the most entertaining thing they've got now. 
like I said, I, I vaguely remembered watching this show. And when I started to see the Christian Cody match, you know, it started to come back to me a little bit. And I was thinking, okay, because I remember not being overly impressed with Cody during the first time I saw him. Not to say that he was bad, because I, I don't at all think that he was bad. But I don't remember him being that great either in terms of from what I've seen over the last couple of years. And basically, like I said, it, it was really interesting to to, to to see that sort of difference and, and, and his growth as a performer over the years, because like for me personally, like I said, I, I honestly think he's he's one of the one of the best guys today. Um, maybe not, you know, sort of pound for pound wrestler, but as an overall performer, he, he he's fantastic. You know, the entrance is great as well. And I mean, look, yeah, you know, I was at WrestleMania. You know, his was the pop of the night, aside from maybe Stone Cold Steve Austin, which to be in that level, hey, it is pretty friggin' awesome. You know, so you, you can't turn your nose at that. C- Cody has got a lot to offer today, I think. And like I said, he, he was good on, you know, at, on the show. Um, but yeah, it was good to be able to see his uh, his evolution. Okay then. So with that, we will take our break and we will come back and talk about the rest of the matches from Over the Limit. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest at this time. He is the WWE Champion, CM Punk. And Punk, before we discuss tonight's match, let's take a look at what transpired this past Friday night on SmackDown. And again, this was two nights ago on SmackDown. CM Punk punished for disrespecting John Laronitis, put in a match versus Kane. Daniel Bryan had joined us here on commentary, and, well, you got to give Daniel Bryan so much credit. He is so smart heading into his matchup against CM Punk. Credit for this? Well, steel chair in hand. He realized he wasn't going to catch Punk there. Watch what he does. He attacks Kane with the chair, drops the evidence. Kane doesn't realize what happened, but what he does think happened... He thinks CM Punk attacked him. And so for that, Daniel Bryan deserves credit because this is what Kane did because of that chair shot. Daniel Bryan ensuring that the champion CM Punk would be extremely weak, less than 100% tonight, when he defends the title against that man here at Over the Limit. And Kane was not done there. The vicious chokeslam, much to the delight of the number one contender for the WWE title. So, Punk, after seeing that, the obvious question is, how are you feeling? (laughs) Well, truth be told, I feel like crap. The only reason I'm still standing here today with a little bit of a smile on my face is because at the end of tonight, John Laurinaitis is going to find himself out of a job. Now, before that party kicks off, i got to deal with somebody named Daniel Bryan, who I've known in excess of 10 years. Now, 10 years ago, if you would have told Vince McMahon to his face that CM Punk and Daniel Bryan would be one of the main events on one of his pay-per-views for the WWE title. Two things would have happened. The first one, he would have said, Who the hell is Daniel Bryan? And who the hell is CM Punk? Uh, The second thing that would have happened, his head probably would have exploded. The fact that Daniel Bryan and I have wrestled at such a high caliber and have made it to this level against each other for this title should be a triumph in itself. The match itself should be reward for both of us, but it's not. It's not good enough, not anymore, because Daniel Bryan has changed. He's a changed man, and in changing, he's gotten on my bad side. So tonight's not just going to be the five-star classic everybody's expecting. It's going to be a... Hello? 
It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Good luck, Puck. Welcome back. And now we are going to embark upon the rest of this year card, which opened on the uh, WWE Network with a impromptu battle royal, the winner of whom would get a shot at either the Intercontinental Championship or the United States Heavyweight Championship, which was won by Christian when he eliminated Miz. I actually thought about this. This is a very 1990s idea because it used to be one of their house show dues in the early 90s when Kurt, Kurt Hennig was uh, IC champion at the time. They would have a battle royal to open the show. The winner of the battle royal would face the Intercontinental Champion. And obviously they would lose because they'd just been in a battle royal that kept kayfabe and kept the house show business a turning, which is not a bad way of going about things. So it's kind of a nice callback to the 90s roots of the Intercontinental Championship and secondary championships everywhere sam what did you think of this well you know what i thought this was such a nice change of pace it was such a nice way to start a show i my one gripe would be and this is very unlike wwe to get this wrong so i'm guessing it was planned is it was so like right you're in it was like right they're starting they're starting come on they're starting i don't know whether someone was off by a second Mm. don't know what difference that second would have made to be honest in the grand scheme of things. But I was a bit like, oh, bloody hell, what's going on? What's going on? But that's a battle royal, isn't it? If I could expect him. <laughs> it's 12, 12 minute, 24 second battle royal. So this is one by our dear friend Christian. Uh, so he then gets it, as uh, James said, gets a shot of the US title or the intercontinental title. Sorry, championship. Obviously, they're championship belts, not title belts. As Vince <laughs> is very keen to point out, allegedly. And uh, yeah, later on in the show. So this is who we've got in this. I managed to write these down during the match, which I was, I'm not going to lie, right? Pretty pleased with myself here. So William Regal, Yoshi Tatsu, Great Kali, who gets the Kali elimination, obviously, multiple people, just delicately placing him over <laughs> the ropes so that his knees don't shatter. Uh, Drew McInfire, Christian Cage, well, Christian. Winner, Christian. Uh, Curtis Axel, who was Michael McGillicuddy at this point, which I didn't realise until he got eliminated. Uh, Heath Slater, Tyson Kidd, friend of the show, Tyson Kidd. Uh, The Miz, (laughs) who's, uh, we mentioned him earlier, he pulls double duty as well. Ezekiel Jackson, completely forgot he existed. Tyler Rex, now doesn't exist. Yuzos, JTG, I'll come back to some in a sec. (laughs) Ibn Otunga, Darren Young, Titus O'Neill, Jinder Mahal, Kurt Hawkins, and a Rye, Alex Riley. So we've got six of those people are still with the company. Obviously, McInfire's back, but those guys, so you've got Tyson Kidd, The Miz, The Usos, Titus O'Neill, and Jinder Mahal have all been with the company since then, all through this. So when I was writing this list, I was like, I only had 19 names down, but why would there be a 19 person battle royal? I had Usos. And uh, I, yeah, and I was like, that's a tag uh-huh. team. It's a tag team. <laughs> I mean, this it, this is as notable as a battle royal is going to be. I mean, they could not have signposted the winner anymore if they tried, because <laughs> they kept saying, and this is only uh, Christian's second match back after his shoulder, his left shoulder injury. Left shoulder. They must have said during this match about eight times, just trying to really emphasize that he had a left shoulder injury. But yeah, this was all right, wasn't it? It was absolutely fine. There was a nice double Uso kick to Titus O'Neill, Titus Worldwide, to eliminate him. 
Booker T did say that uh, during this match, we're seeing the future of the WWE, <laughs> which I absolutely love when they bring that shit out and then you're watching it 10 years later and you're like, oh, mate. I was going to interrupt you, but like the thing is, like I haven't heard Booker T on commentary in ages and I'm listening to this. And does anyone follow Toru Yanu fan account on Twitter? He's a gentleman. Yeah, seen he, bits. You've seen bits. He's a gentleman who's a fan of Toriyano from New Japan Pro Wrestling. And after a big news story of the week, he will post a picture, a really low quality picture of Booker T and write out a speech from Booker T's podcast in the style of Booker T. And it's always really funny, but dead accurate. And it's got to the point where news sites have picked it up as what Booker T said. So all I've got whilst Booker T is talking is this low-res picture of Booker T in my head and chuckles at the end of the statement. Because <laughs> it's just like, uh, see, that's the thing. The meme of Booker T in my head has replaced Booker T. Yeah. To be honest, I wish it had for this show. <laughs> because uh, the seat, the, I, I haven't written down specific details, but the finishing sequence, it was Christian in the Miz left at the end. The finishing sequence is actually pretty decent. And I think I always think with these things, especially with a battle royal, it's 12 minutes, 24 seconds. That's all you want. Decent little finishing sequence, decent little last minute or so. That would be absolutely fine. But uh, there's a point where it's uh, David Otunga, The Miz and Christian are in the ring, right? David Otunga and The Miz, both heel, start working over Christian. They're trying to eliminate Christian. Booker T asks, why are they doing that? And Michael Cole, who is heel Michael Cole at this point, Balls him out, basically. So balls him out to the point where if I was Booker T, I might have been crying because he's just balling him out. He's like, well, they're trying to win a match, Booker, and he's tearing him down. And I was like, we've got almost three hours of Booker T. <laughs> and then I, I, at the end of the match, I was like, and the King's there as well. He'll, he'll get his flowers later. Don't you worry about that. But I had to pause it after this and just mentally prepare myself. So this was a... So me and Tommy were on a good friend's stag do on the weekend, came back Sunday lunchtime, and I watched half of this on Sunday evening. i tired, started to feel a little bit unwell. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'll watch all of this. I had to stop after this. So we were 15 minutes in. I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to stop and just have a little break after Booker T's commentary. I was like, I need to cheer myself up for this. To go outside, to stop <laughs> flogging myself on the old balcony. But yeah. Not bad yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 a commentary team I never dreamed of hearing in my worst mm. nightmares. Matthew, your thoughts? <laughs> uh, well, uh, aside from those interesting comments on the commentary, which I wholeheartedly agree with, I, I do find it quite funny that you mentioned there, man, about the the amount of people who are still there. Because when I first started watching this, I was playing a little game, and I was thinking, hmm. How many of these people are still actually with the company? So, so that kept me entertained for, for at least a good minute or two. And then after that, I kind of zoned out because I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of what I like to refer to as the, the jabroni battle royal, which is eventually what this is. Um, it's basically no one in it who has hardly any chance of winning aside from maybe one or two people. Not my cup of tea. Uh, what I will do, I will read out. I've literally written notes and I will read out my notes verbatim for you to give you the excitement that I had for this. Okay. So <laughs> this is the order of people that went out. So we've got Heath Slater first out, then McGillicuddy, 
then JTG out by the Osos. And this is a quote from my notes who, my God, look like jabronis. Yoshi Tatsu out. Ezekiel Jackson, followed by Jey Oso and Drew McIntyre. Hawkins and Tyler Rex out. Then Jinder and Kali, followed by William Regal. And again, this is a quote from my notes whose gear looks like a tablecloth. Then Titus O'Neil, Jimmy So, William Regal out. Who gets some booze, by the way? So Christian, who eliminated William Regal. Obviously, there were some Regal fans in the house. Darren Young then out. Then followed by Alex Riley, Tyson Kidd, David Otunga, and the Miz out for Christian to take the win. Woohoo. <laughs> in fairness to you, I could not have done that. Because I find... We had this... Um, but this is where we did the TNA show. I right. realised that watching these type of matches, if there's more than, I think, about six people in the ring, can't hack it. I can't handle it. There's too much going on. Where's the storyline, James? <laughs> Where's the storyline in this Battle Royal? <laughs> it's a Battle Royal, Sam. Somebody's supposed to win. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, I needed you on my shoulder. <laughs> and to be fair, they did try and shoehorn a story in with uh, Christian's left shoulder. So, sorry, Matt, I cut you off. That's all good. That, that That's about as exciting as it got. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I kind of felt sorry for Cody Rhodes sat at ringside when Christian obviously gets to pick his opponent. And he just goes, cool, Santino, I'll see you later. Cody Rhodes sat there again, looking like an idiot. Hey, I'm the champion. Nobody wants to face me. Whatever. Bit naft. But hey, maybe that changes later on in the show. Who knows? I'm, I will admit, my only notes that I haven't discussed yet, um, it, it was kind of an old school battle royal in that sense. But um, the only thing that really kind of that struck me was Darren Young's knee pads are massive. Yes. They're I'm huge. That. Yeah. And it's like he, he wrestles on New Japan Strong now on uh, Saturday nights on, on New Japan World. And he wrestles in normal attire. He doesn't look much different to his WWE run. But his knee pads are huge. And what's going on with that? His whole thing was no days off, wasn't it? Yeah. And maybe no days off, no neon show. <laughs> well, I don't know. Actually, what's he like on New Japan Strong? Uh, from the bits I've seen of him, he's he's not terrible. He's pretty good. I think he's kind of like, he's got the the guys on New Japan, there's a lot of green guys on New Japan Strong. So as a veteran, he's kind of, he stands out as just being, mm. by repetition, confident, good at what he does. So he's a guy, he's a glue guy that's helping the other guys develop, and that's kind of the best role for a guy of that age. And and he's he's good, he's he's solid. He's not gonna like you know Atlanta Tokyo don't have any signs soon, but he's he's good at what he does, and he's a valued member of the roster is where I would say from the bits I've seen of him. Because I always liked him. Mm-hmm. I I really liked primetime players. Yeah. Big 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 Titus in the old guy, and uh, kind of realised that actually there's someone else doing the heavy lifting in that tag team. Yeah. And. It's not Titus. Mainly because Titus O'Neil... Titus, if Titus O'Neil was wearing Darren Young's knee pads, he probably wouldn't have blown his knees out about 15 See, times. That's it. Maybe maybe, maybe um, Darren was onto something and we're, mm. we're, just, we're just not seeing it. Or he was wearing Titus's knee pads. Ah. And he, Titus was accidentally wearing Darren's, so they were too small. Because there's quite a big size difference. Oh, how, how the tables could have turned... Maybe he wore them just in case he was afraid that, you know, he'd fall under the ring on the way to, you know, to the oh, Royal. That's, that's a clip that I saw, oh, I don't know, I was watching some on YouTube, and uh, it just pops up every now and then. It always kills me. I'm all, always done for about a minute and a half after. Just because it's Michael Cole's reaction. 
he's a consummate professional and he can't keep it in can't keep it in. <laughs> like some little pervert he can't keep it in <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel sorry for titus there no, no matter what he does all and, and all the charity work he does yeah will never will never compare to that moment that will follow him for the rest of his life <laughs> oh dear well moving on to the next part of the show beth phoenix versus layla for the wwe divas championship which i forgot it actually existed to be um honest with you which tells you how long ago it was and tells you like the good job that the, the women's wrestling division has now done now not to say this was particularly bad i actually quite enjoyed this match but there was uh, another promo explaining the championship picture as they've gone forward. Layla had come back to the company with a knee injury and a matching knee brace to show for her particular injury. And she'd beaten Nikki Bella for the championship, despite the use of twin magic, which had come undone for once in one of the Bella's twins matches. She was then challenged in this particular card by Beth Phoenix, uh, a former champion who had now turned heel, saying that Layla had not, had not earned the opportunity at the championship and been given everything on a plate, which set up this match nicely, I thought. And I did not hate this match, but we'll hear from Sam Thirst and his thoughts. I also did not hate this. So they get seven minutes, 50 seconds. I thought this was as good as you could get, I think, really, given the time that they're given. Because so, as you said, James, Layla comes back after a knee injury and Beth pretty much immediately starts working over that knee. And she's working that knee over hard as well. Like, they're, they're not half-assing this shit. They're proper laying into each other. I remember Layla being part of Lakel with Michelle McCall, where very much Michelle McCall was the workhorse of the two. And Layla would do the odd thing and then come in, then go out if they were in a tag match or interfere in matches. Or Layla would have a match and Michelle McCall would help her win it, stuff like that. But, oh, this is so patronising. But I was really impressed with... Layla, and how well she sold her knee because she's putting everything into it. And there's a nice spot where it looks like Beth is pretty much going to press slam her and then just win. And they kind of transition into a DDT as Layla's falling. And I first watch, they show a, they show a replay of it because she doesn't grab her head. So it's not snug. But for some reason, it looks better than if it wasn't snug. She's just like using her momentum. It was Really good. And then Layla's still selling her leg after that. And I just thought you had this lovely little story of the leg coming through, which and this is where the commentary and Michael Cole in particular is so conflicted, I think, on the show, because he's calling this match. He's just calling it. And he's pretty much the only one interested in calling the match. So when Layla comes down to the ring, Booker T says, Ducky, ducky, quack, quack about how good Layla looks. And the King and Booker are only interested in talking about how good the women look in this match. And I was like, lads, this is seven minutes and 50 seconds of good shit right here. And all you're doing is talking about how good looking the women are. And I'm like, fucking, this is 2012. It's just, I mean, Matt's finding it absolutely hilarious. And he's probably because he's trying <laughs> to figure out what ducky, ducky, quack, quack means. Because I've no idea either, but... <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, it's ducky, ducky, quack. <laughs> this just got me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you don't need to be sorry, Matthew. You enjoy it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, right. Professional. Oh, my good God. 
Oh, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> what were your thoughts on this map? <laughs> oh, but aside from Dougie, Dougie, quack, quack. There wasn't anything much to this, I thought. It was. It wasn't bad. I definitely say that. It wasn't bad. I, I wouldn't say it was good. It, it, it was It was fine. How long was it? About six, seven minutes? Um, something like that. I, I don't feel it lasted long enough to to sort of become anything. I felt they could have done, yeah, they given them, you know, a couple of minutes and might have developed into something more. Um, the the DDT sort of false finish. Wow, like that's for me. That's the one thing that stuck out about this, and I wish that was the finish. That would have been much better, and I felt would have done Beth Phoenix a hell of a lot more favors than what the actual finish was. But yeah, it, it was fine. Um. Yeah, I, not, not really much else you can say about this, to be honest, for me. From my point of view, it's not the highest level of women's wrestling that was available at the time that I was watching, because I was watching stuff in Japan, which was all female cards, hard-hitting stuff in the early days of stardom. You know, Joshi was on a bit of a revival, and that was the kind of thing I was into at the time. So I kind of, like, in my head, compare it to that, which is completely unfair, because it's not the same audience that they're wrestling for. They're wrestling for a, the family-friendly audience. And for that audience, again, they're doing the job right. They're doing the job right for a WWE audience to enjoy it, which is, you know, unfortunately a bit of light fluff. But the actual wrestling matches were solid. And, you know, you had, you were still feeling the influence of Fit Finley in this particular match. So, you know, you knew it was going to be right because that's, that, those were the, that's who trained Layla. And, you know, uh, Beth Phoenix was a solid, good wrestler and she was exploring the things as a heel, which I hadn't seen her do before. And I, I think this is probably the first full match I've seen of Beth Phoenix. It's definitely the first full match I've seen of Layla. And I was, in, again, I know you're saying something, it sounds patronizing, but I was impressed with what I was seeing. There was good stuff in the Diva era. And I think that hashtag that started to give Divas a chance was because there was good stuff in the Diva era and people wanted to see more of it. And this was kind of an example of this match example of it in this match it was solid good it was not throwaway it's entertaining it's a wrestling match that does the job right for the audience that they're wrestling for and you can't ask for anything more than that if the commentary had been a bit more enlightened because you're right it's 2012 not 1896 uh it would have made things a lot more watchable yeah i mean what's it what's interesting as well is Layla gets the win here now i've no idea how long she held the title for but i was like go on Layla, because it's someone else, because I think the easy thing to do is to remember Michelle McCall, Nikki Bella and Beth Phoenix from this era. And to a certain extent, later on, AJ and Paige as well. And that's kind of the people that get the nod. But you also have like Eve Torres, who I always thought was actually pretty good, but never really got got a chance. Mm. And yeah, you kind of wonder what you wonder what could have been if they just given them a little a little push. And not just said Matt's favourite phrase, ducky, ducky, quack, quack. <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm literally about to say that I just looked it up. Um, well, for a start, I totally forgot that Layla is apparently British. Totally. Yeah. Totally forgot about that. And she held the title, when was it, until, until about September of, uh, of that year. Lovely. So good run. Yeah. Good shit. Go on, which, Layla. Is, which, is, which in the TV era is a lifetime. That's. I was mm. gonna say that that's a long time for considering how far she you know she was on the card as well. I mean that's that's good going. I think uh, I, I remember reading years ago that uh, Layla was one of those people who made her money in wrestling and then went into real estate. Lovely old job. So Good sensible. Yeah. So sensible. But didn't Molly do that as well? I think she worked in real estate. I for think a while. so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think a few like Bo Dallas has as well, with um oh god, I can't 
can't remember. It's a female wrestler that they must be really good friends. So yeah. they've gone in together. Well, Undertaker owns a half of South Dallas, from where I can remember. That's where he invested yeah. his money. So, yeah. yeah. Next up, we had an interview with my commentary hero, Matt Stryker, as he interviewed Randy Orton and was interrupted by Chris Jericho. The whole point was to get over the dissension in the friendly rivalry between Randy Orton and Sheamus, the then world's champion. And this match was for the World's Heavyweight Championship, featuring ADR, Orton, Sheamus and Jericho in a match genetically designed to get my disapproval. <laughs> but Matthew, give us a positive spin first, as this is more your kind of thing, though I feel <laughs> it may not be. <laughs> positive spin on this. OK, cool. The last few minutes of it turned into quite the little barn burner. It, it, it took a little bit of time to get going. But to be fair, I'd say the last last couple of minutes, I thought, damn, this is actually pretty good. And in all fairness, I, I felt the finisher... Um, by Sheamus was actually something different at the time. Um, for those who haven't seen it, it was Sheamus doing the sort of well, what he calls the white noise, which Finley used to use. I believe he called it the Celtic cross. So it's that type of, you know, drop him on the back type move. That was good. That, that, that was something different. So I thought that was cool. Like I said, everybody managed to get their stuff in. That's, that's the good stuff. <laughs> that's probably as kind as I can be about it. I mean, the, the one thing that I very nearly, very nearly did break up, and I'm only going to go into it very briefly, brought up as a talking point, was Alberto Del Rio as what I believe to be a wasted opportunity uh, in WWE. Again, I'm not going to go into it too much here, but long story short, he could have been a lot more. He wasn't. That's a shame. But that's a story for another day. So you're saying you, you WWE could have saved him from a life of alleged crime? <laughs> maybe Del Rio is is one of those guys who I remember I remember vividly seeing his vignettes for when he was about to debut and I can't honestly I genuinely was super excited to see him debut and it was a long time since I'd seen vignettes that I thought wow this guy looks great and as soon as I saw him I thought this guy is really going to be something he never was I, you know, no matter how many times he, he won the title, no matter how many times he feuded with Cena, he, I just personally just didn't think he, he amounted to, to what he could have been. Um, but but that's my take on it. It's a bit of the old saying that some people make belts and some belts make people, but never the two shall necessarily meet. And no matter how many championships you put on him, if he's not getting over, he's not going over. So that's one some of the way, some ways the cookie crumbles. Sam, what's your thoughts on this one? Uh, just touch on Del Rio quickly. I think his major problem was that the most over part of him was Ricardo Rodriguez. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, there's a. I'm I'm very glad that you talked about him. So uh, Del Rio comes down to the ring in a Maserati, some car worth 150 grand. Don't know. Got wheels. Goes somewhere. <laughs> but Michael Cole only talks about the car. The camera lingers on the car. Now, obviously, there's some deal where Maserati have said that we'll lend you this car, but you need to mention it, it needs to be on screen. And I was like, is that the only reason Del Rio's in this match? And I think I might be right, unfortunately. Now, in terms of a match, you've got Del Rio comes out, very little fanfare, apart from for the Ricardo Rodriguez introduction. Jericho comes out to a, what can only be described as an anus-rolling silence. <laughs> like, I mean, I was no Jericho guy at this point, 
but fuck me, man. Even I would have mustered some enthusiasm to bow in. <laughs> well, bow in or chair my I don't know what I was meant to be doing, to be honest. Orton gets a lovely old pop. Classic Orton. Always love him, wherever he is. Seamus, again, this anus is going through a fucking terrible time because he comes out to silence as well. And to Matt's point earlier about Ziggler, Seamus does the exact same shit that he does now when he's coming out to the ring. He does his little beat of the chest, his little Celtic cross with his little arms. I say little arms, enormous arms. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's all a bit sad. And I'll get into the match in a second, but just well, when they cut to Matt Stryker, who's with Orton, Michael Cole says Matt Stryker is standing by with one of the men in this match. So he doesn't say that it's Orton or anything. And I thought that pretty much summed this match up because I feel like this is so cobbled together. And you've got three hills and one face as well. So the dynamics all off. You've got Jericho and Del Rio have a lovely time just walking around, beating people up for about two minutes. And I'm like, I'm, I'm in with this. I like this. Because they'll they'll have their little bit, they'll have their little set too. Um, I'll have a good time watching that. But just the way WWE do these things, that stopped far too quickly. Jericho puts on two of the worst water Jerichos that they have ever seen. Where it's just two Boston crabs, not even good Boston crabs. But what Matt, Matt said is correct. The last few minutes are really, really fucking good. And the one thing I want to say about this match is that it feels like everyone wants to win yeah. through what through what they're doing. And I've realised over the last couple of months in particular, this is something I really pick up on because there was a WCW pay-per-view where it felt like no one wanted to win any matches and it really bothered me. And everyone's trying to win this match. And I was like, you know what? I can get on board with this. And it was all right. And then, uh, and then Booker T says at the end, my God, that's been like 30 or 40 minutes. These guys want athletes. And I'm like, about 15 minutes mate <laughs> he's just completely like he's a lovely ability to just take everyone out of the moment Booker T but I'm not a big so we've had a battle royal not a big battle royal guy not a big fatal four way guy to be honest but if I've got to watch one it may as well be like this because it was passable and then the last couple of minutes were very good and then we moved on with our lives <laughs> I hated this with a large amount of passion. Um, <laughs> I, I hate four-way matches just for the, it looks like a bunch of spots because you mm. have to have it as a bunch of spots. So therefore, it was like I like I used to be a big Jericho fan when I, when he was younger in his pre WWE days. I was a big Jericho fan, um, and then as he slowly got into the Jericho the, the WWE style, it just kind of the latter day Jericho, which I know he's really good at and appeals to a lot of people. It just does not interest me whatsoever. Uh, it's Jericho, and he, he still can go then. So it, it's still like from an athletic performance point of view, it's fine. But from ju- but it, it's just a bunch of spots. That's the bit I can't get my head around. It's like you have to in these matches, you have to focus on two people at once. So the other two people have to be knocked out of the ring. So therefore, mm-hmm. it takes me out the moment. It's like there's um, it's Coppersville Collision tomorrow, which is New Japan. Um, in Washington DC and one of the matches is for the US title and it's it's Will Ospreay, John Moxley, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Juice Robinson for the US Championship. Four wrestlers who, well three of whom are best when they're focused on one opponent. <laughs> you know there's like this guy who's turning heel and is just trying to establish himself there's Hiroshi Tanahashi, he's freaking Hiroshi Tanahashi and there's John Moxley a guy you want in a brawl 
and then there's Will Ospreay. It's going to be a blamange of an awfulness because it will be because you can't get those four guys to do that. And this felt like mm. that, but in a WWE style. So it was better organized and it was presentable, but it was just it it, it just now just why I don't like WWE. My mm. first note is fuck this is shit. And then it goes meandering mess and just a bunch of spots. But the crowd rings right Because of where this comes on the card, I think I'm all right with it. I think if this is like in the semi-final spot, I think I'd be like, oh, come on, lads. What are you doing with this for? But because it's bang in the middle of the 10-match card, well, nine that we're covering, I'm kind of all right with it. But I can completely understand where you're coming from. And also, I was on a high after the Divas match as well. So I was just drinking it in. And then some happened after this. <laughs> what, undone, what undid your mood, Sam? Well, we get one thing that lifted my mood. So you've got Cody Rhodes and Eve Torres having a little gab in the background. Cody Rhodes being a right shithouse, saying how crap Christian is. And how, uh, how hopefully he'll beat uh, Santino, blah, 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 blah. And Christian appears and he goes, hello, I'm going to fight you instead. I've changed your mind. And he sells it quite well, Cody, to be fair. Old mid-card Cody. Then we get War of Change, which is the theme song to Over the Limit 2012. Now, back in the day, I've liked some pretty bang average rock music. This is the most generic song I think I've ever heard in my life. And there's literally nothing to it. It's just, can't remember how it goes. Just like, War of Change, War of Change. And some like half-assed guitars in the background pretending to be heavy. It is, as I put, it's the short back and sides of rock music. <laughs> which came to me in a moment of inspiration. And then uh, and then we get The Miz come out and he's picking on Brodus Clay. And he's saying that he can't dance and he says, I'm the best dancer in WWE. And then he has a little dance. And I was like, you know what? I can get on board with this, Miz. And then it happens. Well, we all know this coming. Brodus Clay's music hits. And now I'll pass over to our illustrious host. Indeed, uh, Brodus Clay, who was this week a guest on Piers Morgan's um, show Mm. on uh, Talk TV, uh, which will tell you how far both of them have fallen. Yeah, this is Brodus Clay, who I've actually interviewed when I used to do some film journalism, uh, because he was in a film that I reviewed. As you can imagine, it was a cracker. But uh, <laughs> he seemed like a perfectly nice guy. And then I found out that basically about 20 minutes after I'd interviewed him, he was live on Fox News. He, oh, he covered those right-wing views. And he was alleged, and uh, we must say that all charges were dropped, he was alleged to have uh, sexually assaulted someone who worked for Fox News. We can't judge him by that. We can't judge him by the case that was thrown out. But yeah, Fox News and then Piers Morgan. Lovely. <laughs> I mean, yes. Oh, there's no defending this, is there really? I mean, I like Miz, 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 as always, throws himself into everything. And again, I think a lot of people will say this. They don't like Miz, as, as wrestling is concerned, but the fact that he absolutely gives his all for everything the company does is rewarded by the fact that you get things like this, where he's dealing with someone who's terrible and he's mm. trying to make it as watchable as he possibly can. And that's his job. And he does a good job of that. This is still awful on many, many levels. Mm-hmm. Some we will not drill down to for quite some time. Uh, Matt, your thoughts? I, I almost couldn't put it any better there, James, to be honest. Um, yes, it was awful. Um, the, the Miz dancing, awful, but do you know what? That, that 
ha ha, that's what he's supposed to do for you know for the audience there. You know, it it was just a squash match. It did what it was designed to do at the time. Made Brodus look like a monster. You know, Miz was a capable hand. They thought they could stick Brodus in there, to, you know, to help lead him. It, it was just a squash match. I mean, what what can you say? Good good for good for Miz again. Company guy. Uh, the, we, we all know how the Brodus experiment worked, but they tried. Um, skip over this. You know, you don't have to. If you watch this show, if you go back and watch Over the Limit, don't bother watching that part. Just listen to us talk about it. Save you know. A couple of <laughs> times. I will say he's currently the NWA World Television Champion. Don't know what the NWA were thinking, but he was better then, ten years ago, as you'd expect for a guy who could barely move ten years ago, than he is now. So this is literally prime Brodus, and uh, I think he was, I think we'd all agree this may be the worst match on this card, or possibly oh. the worst match we've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's not the worst match I've ever seen, but what I could think, right? So you've got the Miz in there, 13, 14 months after headline in WrestleMania, mm-hmm. he's putting over Brodus Clay in. Uh, I'm much right. This is ostensibly a squash match, but it's so non-committal. So they get almost six minutes. What I couldn't understand about this is that you put him in there with the Miz, who is a guy you don't want to bury. They don't want to bury him. That much is obvious. Absolutely fine, because they're going to use him. He's like, Tinky used the term, the Miz is like Teflon. You can do whatever you want with him. Just yeah. keep stick on. He's lovely. But because of that, there's no impact. When Bro just wins... No one cares. Like if this had gone, you're trying to make him a monster. Don't have him go almost six minutes with someone. Have him go two and batter them. Absolutely batter them. Get anyone in. Like you've got, sorry Yoshi, but you've got Yoshi Tatsu <laughs> in the in the battle royal. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you've also got you've got Michael McGillicuddy. He's not doing anything at this point. Have him in there. But because of that. It just becomes so incredibly dull that it's just like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? And then this sickens me, this kind of stuff. <laughs> you get at the end of the match, you get Cameron and Naomi, the old Funkadactyls come down with Brodus. So Brodus wins with a splash. Not a particularly impressive splash either, to be honest. It's quite he, non-committal. He falls over. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I was like, You've seen worse. Yeah. It's a, it's a, well, di- yeah. It's, it's a well-directed falling over. Yeah. Then he has some fucking kids in the ring. And like, this is a fucking cheap pop with these kids who don't want to fucking be there. It takes them about 40 seconds. Let's be honest. It's about four seconds to get into it. <laughs> and there's only Cameron and Amy going, come on then, come on then. Let's have a little dance. Let's have a little dance. And then they ain't following Brody. Uh, what's his name? Yeah, Brodus. Sorry. They ain't following Brodus because they're trying to get him out of the ring. And he's like, hey, come on, kids. And they're like, go with you. You fat town fucker. <laughs> you doing? No, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. My my parents have told me about people like you. <laughs> That's right. People who work for Fox News. <laughs> yeah. This I mean this um this frustrated me watching this because the match after I felt needed a couple more minutes. Yeah. And they don't get it because of this and because of the previously mentioned Ryback match as well and I was like oh come on lads is there anything more we can say about this yeah. we, we've we've covered almost what, eight or nine minutes on it. I think <laughs> we've done pretty bloody well actually longer than the match went anyway oh hang, uh, on, hang on sorry I do have one more thing I can't not mention his music because his yuck. music is absolute fire 
Somebody call my mama. Somebody call my mama. Somebody call my mama. Somebody call my mama. Fucking cracking stuff. Brilliant stuff. Anyway, as you were. Well, next up, uh, we had the Intercontinental Championship match, but not before Hawkins and Rex were seen tearing up signs in the audience, which is a nice payoff to what they did earlier, because I expected them not to be seen for the rest of the show, (laughs) which would have been nicer. Uh, This match was set up earlier with a promo with uh, Eve, and who was talking with Cody, and Christian came up and changed his mind about challenging Santino and decided to challenge uh, Cody instead, and the impromptu challenge went ahead. In a match that Christian won taking the Intercontinental Championship from Cody. In a match I actually really enjoyed. Because, like I said, I've never seen Cody wrestle. I've seen Christian wrestle loads of times. But I've never seen Cody wrestle in his peak in WWE. And it was a nice surprise. And as I said earlier, it kind of gave me a different perspective on the matches I've seen him in since. Have you got anything else to say about this, Matt? Of, of all guys uh, who've been in WWE, Christian is one of those guys who often doesn't get the credit that he really deserves mm. as a singles performer. He's, you know, he's really good. And, you know, he's helped a lot of guys. And outside of his WWE career, you know, AEW now and TNA back in the day, I mean, Christian as a singles performer is really good and, and doesn't get a lot of the credit he deserves. So I'm going to give him the shout out right now. Captain Charisma, you get a salute because, damn, you were good, sir. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was a good match. It was good to see, you know, where Cody's... Uh, was after this point in his career. Good little icy title match, you know, title change, cool. Happy days, nothing, nothing wrong with this one, thumbs up. Yeah, this was eight minutes and 35 seconds, which could have gone a lot longer and been more entertaining, I feel. It didn't feel crammed in. They got the stuff in that they needed to get in in the time they got in, but it could have just, it was a slow burn match and you need a bit of time to get those things going. So it would have been improved. So, Sam? Yeah, that's pretty, you've pretty much taken the words right out of my mouth. I'm sorry to meatloaf you, sir. <laughs> oh, blimey, I'm not really sure what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I think these are two guys who want a little bit of time. Just want a little bit of time. And to your point, Matt, about Christian, when I was watching this, I was thinking, it's all right, this Christian lad. I was thinking about his trio of matches he had with Orton Ooh, for the title. Excellent. One of which is at SummerSlam and is fantastic and I was thinking about other matches that he's had like he had a few with Jericho I think it was Wrestlemania 18 I think it is 20 is it lovely yep. job well done lads and how he's really able to elevate himself for each performer he's very adaptable which I think probably worked against him in the grand scheme of things like in terms of just being that consistent guy he's not always the most exciting because I think he's very seems to be very conscious of getting people over rather than worrying about his own stuff. But I thought this was good. This was good, and it had the... If they'd got four or five more minutes, I think it would have been really, really fucking good mm. as well. And I was, so I was a little bit like, oh, a bit a bit frustrated, because I was a bit pissed off about watching Bro Display anyway. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I was just a bit disappointed, but got a little note on the commentary again. So we had Michael Cole, the only one interested in calling the uh, Divas match earlier. Quack, quack. I was waiting for that. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, during this match, Booker T is the only guy calling it because all the King and Cole are talking about is John Laurinaitis because they're talking about the fucking signs. I'm like, lads, I don't give a fuck. Don't give a fuck. We're going to probably get 20 minutes at the end 
of this shit that I don't care about anyway. Just leave it. Just leave it. But it did ruin it for me, which is testament to the lads in the ring. Because uh, many weaker matches it would have really ruined. But I also thought, why didn't you talk about this during the Brodus Flame match? Yeah. Why? It's silly sods. But a symptom of, as you said earlier, James, the play-by-play play guy trying to play a character. Just yeah. have him just just have him gab. Yeah, gab, isn't it? That's it. Just talk. That's all it needs to be. In fact, I rest heavily on the New Japan commentary team of Kevin Kelly and Chris Jarton, who are just two babyfaces who, they're fairly actually neutral. They don't really, they kind of are in favour of the babyfaces and they hurt the, hate the really bad heels. But generally speaking, they're just talking about wrestling. When we covered uh, TNA Lockdown 2009, we were talking about, obviously Matt watched it, but he didn't need to. Uh, yeah, we, <laughs> me, me <laughs> Tommy, and Tiki uh, talked about the commentary team there because it was Mike Tanay and Don West, and that's exactly all they did, James. So they just yeah. talked about what was going on. They weren't trying to sell any stories. They explained the story as they were going through. Lovely old job. We've talked about this loads of times on this show. Every now and then, I don't mind three people on commentary. Don't mind it, but every now and then it's muddled, and that's exactly what this is. Mm. Just muddled. I mean, that's the nature of Alan Booker T and Jerry Lawler somewhere. And basically anywhere near a microphone, I think. Just <laughs> chatting, spouting flannel. Oh, speaking of auditory syphilis, Josh Matthews interviews <laughs> CM Punk <laughs> uh, next as he builds towards his World's Heavyweight Championship match with a timely interruption by AJ at the end. But again, this promo is dominated by, well, begins with Punk's thoughts on John Laurinaitis wrestling uh, John Cena later in the match, which is kind of like the story of this and the problem I have with this show, which I'll talk about at the end. Sam, what's your thoughts on this promo and does it build the way the championship the way you thought? One thing, they do a little SmackDown recap and basically Punk is having a match with Kane and then Daniel Bryan hits Kane with a chair to get Punk disqualified. Kane is so angry about this. They're each wailing on Punk. I'm like, what are you so angry about it? You're the devil's favourite demon. If you're that angry about it, <laughs> kill him. Just kill him. Don't worry about a chair. But I was a bit confused about how angry it was. I thought there was a bit of payoff in this promo. So you've got the bit about Cena and Laurinaitis. And then Punk talks about the likelihood of him and Daniel Bryan having a match for the WWE Championship on a WWE pay-per-view in a near main event slot and how Vince McMahon would have reacted. He does a pretty crap Vince impression, but <laughs> like, like, we'll let him have it. And then he cuts a good promo. And I, I didn't really enjoy the storyline around the AJ Lee type stuff, but I kind of appreciate the continuity. But yeah, I, I liked the little bit of nostalgia that they were kind of given. And these two indie guys that have done it and they've made it to this spot but like I said, I think there's the trade-off and he has to talk about Laurinaitis and Cena, which Punk's not a big one for hiding his feelings. And he looks a little bit narked off just to be asked it. And he would have probably known it was coming. And I'm like, well, unless they did it live and they caught him off guard with it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, possibly Matthews might have done that because Matthews yeah, might I... have known not to ask him, <laughs> like on a script, yeah. certainly. So, yeah. Uh, you got any thoughts on this promo, Matt? I was a little bit cautious of this because uh, up until when AJ Lee came out, because 
because I, I remember again, like I said, I remember this film quite vividly. So I, I remember that she does eventually get involved. Spoiler alert, wasn't in this match, so thank God for that. But I, I do remember her getting involved at some point. It's like, you know, I, it's CM Punk and, and Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, whatever. It's, you know, these two guys, you know, it's, you don't need anything else other than just put them in the ring and watch them do their thing. You know, you, you, you don't need anything else. So I was just thinking, oh, please, for the love of God, don't have her get involved. So... Up until the match started, I was like, oh, please, 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 please. Um, but yeah, promo-wise, it, it was it was okay otherwise. So let's move on to the main event. According to Punk's the main event of this show, which featured the WWE champion CM Punk defending against Daniel Bryan, there was a lot of talk on commentary about the historical importance of this match, the fact that they wrestled on Ring of Honor, uh, and the reputation is coming up from through the indies. And this match kind of followed that outline because it was really a Ring of Honor match in a WWE ring, very, very much so, because they both had the clout to get away with it, which they haven't got before. Matt, what's your thoughts on this match? Because it is the match of the card by a long way, I feel. Well, I have to disagree. No, I'm totally joking. (laughs) 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 Hell no. Um, Yeah, 100% that this was the match of the night. And I, I literally thought by the time we got you, who bloody Ray? I mean, this by a country mile saved the show from disappearing into a complete cloud of nothingness. Uh, this was bloody brilliant. It is probably the best way I can describe it. It was just a technical wizardry masterpiece by by the pair of them to the point of it, I thought it was like almost the perfect length. They did the you know they did all the right things. You know like about halfway through I was thinking oh my god it's it's building to a crescendo. He says this is great. It was just such solid work by the pair of them. A lot of the times, the the finish that they did with the 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 sort of double tap and the the pin sometimes bothers me. In this way, I actually kind of liked it because he didn't tap immediately as soon as it was the three count. You also give it a couple of seconds and then tapped afterwards. So that for me was one of the best ways they could have done it because. You can't not say the Punk didn't win the match because he got the pinfall, but then obviously Brian's got a reason to be pissed off afterwards because he, regardless of whether or not you know he was in the match, he did tap out. So he can go, well, I made you tap. So I, I thought that finish was great as well. The, the crowd were completely into it. it. It was just for fans of you know sort of the Ring of Honor era um, of of indie wrestling, it, it was their wet dream. This match, it was bloody brilliant. <laughs> I have to agree. I mean, to me, this was essentially, I've just watched Noah Destiny from 2005 and Kenta is on that show winning the GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship. And you realise watching that, then watching this, like the day after, because I watched the Noah show on the Saturday morning, I watched this on the Sunday afternoon, how much punk lent on that Noah style at the time, which of course... To casual American fans, no, they hadn't seen anything like it. But to more serious wrestling fans, they knew where it was coming from. And it wasn't just the go to sleep. It's the way he delivers his kicks. It's the way his attitude is in the ring as well. And conversely, while there's plenty of heavy hitting stuff from uh, Daniel Bryan, he wrestles like Johnny Saint through this match. It's like watching an old world sport match a lot of the time, especially with the surfboard Romero special. It's like watching 2005 Kenta versus 1982 Johnny Saint. But also, they're individual wrestlers who've taken their influences and made them bigger than what they are. 
they are still two of the biggest draws in professional wrestling 10 years later and they've both taken breaks in the ring and are still more over than any other wrestlers in North America and it's because they know all of the tools that they've picked up in their trade because they worked all those indie shows and they just laid it all out in this perfect storytelling avenue before WWE's storytelling machine got hold of them to mold them in the way that they wanted them to go. So there's kind of this perfect little moment of we're just kind of starting this feud. We've had one match. I think I saw their one match on TV. It was on Raw, I think, when Brian was world champion and Punk was WWF champion. And I, even then, they were being downplayed on commentary because, the, you know, they're not they're not very good. And I can remember Jerry Lawler saying, but one's the world champion and one's the WWE champion. How much better do you want them to be? And they've got past that point. So they're on the next level of storytelling, but it's still kind of down to them. And it feels like their ideas and their creative process, if that makes sense. And I think that to me, that's what makes this so good and so watchable. Uh, what's your thoughts on this one, Sam? This is fan-bloody-tastic, isn't it? Let's be honest. Like, I can't really do it justice, any better justice than you boys have. You raised the point that I was going to touch on, James, in that the commentators are so invested in this. And I was that's what really struck me, is that these are those two guys. Booker T, at the end, is like a pig in shit. I don't think he can believe what he's just watched in a WWE ring. I don't think he can get over how good it was and how they were kind of given that chance to go like the I was watching this, I watched this, I finished this this afternoon, and I didn't know until I loaded up the Wikipedia page it's twenty-four minutes. Yeah. Unfucking real. Like unbelievable. I knew it was it was late teens, I thought. Mm. Like they checked another seven eight minute uh sorry six or seven minutes on but the pacing of it is beautiful you've got I've talked about this already you've got working over body parts so yeah. punk getting his ribs worked over which uh, which michael cole points out to booker t aren't his kidneys because his kidneys are in his back <laughs> which did make me laugh <laughs> and then you've you've got uh brian daniel brian uh, having his ha- yeah, a nice twist on it. Yeah, Daniel Bryanson, left- yeah, yeah, having his left knee worked over, and they just like in particular during Punk's title run, very, very, very underappreciated. I think in particular having watched stuff back. Don't get me wrong, I haven't watched his right back match back because I ain't going anywhere near that. But also it's a weird one, Daniel Bryan and Punk in AEW because when I stopped watching AEW, which was Bloody hell, it's got to be six months ago. Daniel Bryan was just having matches with anyone every week. He was just having a match with someone. I was like, oh, these are good matches, but they don't fucking mean anything. They don't mean anything. And Punk started doing that just as I was stopping watching. I was like, oh, need them to get their teeth into something. This, like their teeth are fucking, their teeth are on their bone. I don't know what that means. <laughs> and they're on the bones. They're so into it and they're just like living it. This is one of the best matches I think we've covered on this show because yeah, I loved it anyway when I was watching it but to then find out it was 24 minutes and it felt like 15 or 16 was just a lovely old job Yeah. and this is, I felt when I was watching this I think like this is the trade-off for the crowd, for yeah. the main event and I have the utmost respect for whoever realised that and was like, right, we need to give them something 
because <laughs> at the moment this is all this is all fine this is all fine to this point nothing uh, the, the Broders claim this stuff is terrible the Ryback Camacho stuff goes 54 seconds so it's not it's not good but it, it's hard to like in the scheme of the whole show but up to this point there's nothing that's grabbing you and then they give you this and you're like cool thank you in the back pocket for a wank later lovely old job done <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is so good. I actually uh, was looking at Cage Match review because I followed the Cage Match because if you go on Cage Match, they'll give you the event without the results so you can watch it without mm. spoiling it for yourself. Oh, nice. Yourself. But then I went to the results just to check. I had to see what Meltzer said about this because on Cage Match, they give you the Meltzer rating of that. And he gave this four and a half stars. And I'm like, you are kidding me, right? This match is pretty much wrestling perfection. Mm. And it's like, this is why I don't particularly like, I like us talking about it and that should be our review, but I don't really understand we have the out of 10 marks on this show. But one of the reasons why I don't put number ratings in the Troopany show and don't put number ratings when I'm reviewing stuff is because it's a burning point with me is like, it should be about the words of what we think of the show and how we feel about it. And when you just go with a star rating, which is everybody focuses on, focuses on with Meltzer, it doesn't tell you the whole story. And this match, it's just about perfect. You know, for the guys involved, for the wrestling, for the audience they're wrestling for, for the company they're wrestling for, it doesn't get any better than this. They get away with a lot that you wouldn't normally get away with in a WWE ring because they're just that good. And Vince trusts them to tell a story that they want to tell, which is kind of how wrestling used to work and how it should work to draw an audience because you're trying to get them interested and invested in you and I'm not sure WWE's done that since from the bits that I've seen what's astonishing about this as well when I was watching it I was like I know they had The Rock Cena 2 and Mm -hmm. the next Mania given the money they made from those two Manias can't really argue with that but how these two weren't instantly back at the top of the company after that is mystifying when you watch this like these guys one of them should have held a title at any one time for the next 10 years. Yeah. Should probably still be doing it now mm. if they better treated them. And obviously, Punk has got his staff infection in this as well. Yeah. He's wearing his, his big old sweaty elbow pad. Yeah, which <laughs> I think makes it even more astonishing. Yeah, it is remarkable how banged up he was during this particular time period. And he was delivering classics like this. What I find really amazing about this is that I, I think when you really think about it, WWE did not know what they had in these guys i think before before they had that and even by the end of it maybe they had a little bit of a clue but you could tell in the commentary you could tell the paper thing it was on the placement of it they felt this would be all right they didn't think this was going to be as good as it was they just felt yeah punk you know punk and brian they should be okay i really don't feel that they knew just how good the pair of them would be and it, it really is astonishing because let's face it, everybody else on the bloody planet knew. But it, it is a shame that they never got to, to you know, I mean, they, they did have a ream. I think it was a money at the bank, possibly. Might have been the next pay-per-view. I can't remember. I don't remember it being as good as this. I'm not quite sure of that, but it's a shame that they never had, you know, like a, a big four, you know, pay-per-view type match, you know, like a Mania or a Rumble, that type of thing. I get the feeling that Double or Nothing next year might be that match mm. that, that we should have had. Whether it's for the AEW Championship or not, I'm not sure. That would be the icing on the cake. But I don't think, also, I don't think Tony Khan wants to push older guys that far. He's kind mm. of set on 
Hangman's a good champion and he's a company guy and he's one of our pillars that built the company. So we're going to hang our hat on him, which is the right move to make because Hangman's 32, not 45. But I think, you know, that could be an absolutely high stakes match that absolutely makes a card and draws a, draws money like no tomorrow. I think, I think we'll see that in the near future. So one more little note that I can't pass over. So there is a fantastic false finish near the ropes. Yes. And John Cohn is the referee and he is fully committed to this three. And it is it's kind of like close proximity as well. So it looks that much more special. But it's fantastic. It's so good. And I think that it kind of plays into the match as well because I think if he's if he's a half second off this ref and he hesitates with that three, then the believability is gone. Yeah. But he's fully committed to the three. But like he must miss the map by a Nat's pube, I reckon. <laughs> That's not someone called Nat. No, I, 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 believe, <laughs> an that, actual... I believe that is a full-on engineering term, an actual measurement. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Uh, I've got a friend um, who uh, works in engineering and uh, has used the phrase Nat's pube as a measurement. Wow. Well, well I never. <laughs> Once we've got through that, because that was outstanding, and obviously the crowd needs a breather, there is a promo backstage which features Eve and David Atunga talking to each other about the main event and what the possibilities of the, the darkness that could come should Joel Alonitis lose and to Teddy Wong the former manager of general manager of Raw and now assistant to uh, John Laurinaitis, who is looking very happy with himself through that. It's like I miss Teddy Wong from my point of view Teddy Wong was a referee and the manager of Doom so yeah. you know and you can't argue with that. Also, the manager of the skyscrapers. Tiny, tiny man managing two guys who were six foot ten. Ace. <laughs> See, you know, being the more modern guy, you know, for me, he's, he's just the guy who loves saying The Undertaker. Yeah. Oh, dear. As we discussed before, we then move on to the Ryback versus Camacho squash, which brings us to the main event of the evening. John Cena versus John Laurinaitis. Should John Laurinaitis lose, he would in fact, lose his job as general manager of both SmackDown Raw and as uh, vice president of talent relations. And if any employed, and that's the uh, that's the concerning part, if any employed WWE wrestler uh, interfered in the match, they would also lose their jobs, which gave us an ending that was somewhat predictable if you'd been watching Raw in the previous weeks. But to me, who had not watched Raw in the previous weeks, was somewhat surprised when the main event was hijacked by the big show, who brought John Laurinaitis back to the ring and then turned on John Cena enabling John Laurinaitis to continue his reign of terror in WWE. Uh, Matt, your thoughts on this particular match? <sighs> I was going to say, there was a long pause before a side there. That's never a good oh, I know. This match. What Honestly, what do you even say? I mean, this sucked. <laughs> you know, the, let's just start off with that, shall we? This sucked. This shouldn't have been the main event. I mean, the fact that this was a main event of a pay-per-view at the time. Come on, man. It's, you can't send the people home with that shit. You know, <laughs> but but they did. I mean, as a match, I mean, it was it was John Cena doing his goofy comedy, uh, which has never really been that funny to begin with. It eventually got to the point where I actively started to feel sorry for John Laurinaitis because he was beating him up for so long. He was like, you know, if you're going to beat him, just bloody do it and get it over with. You've tortured him for like 20 minutes. Just, ugh. I mean, the, the probably the thing in particular that I'm going to be honest, really pissed me off 
was putting John Laurinaitis in the STF on two separate occasions. Now, don't get me wrong. I know it's only for 10 seconds, but what the hell? This is meant to be your top guy using your top, using his top move on you. I mean, I can vividly remember pictures of like Vince being in like the ankle lock or something and tapping out immediately, like the second it gets put on him. Why is Laurinaitis not crying out in pain the second the move is put on him? Yeah, okay, he's been a wrestler, whatever. That doesn't matter. You know, the, the, he's, he no longer was a wrestler. He was an executive, whatever. He should have tapped out immediately. And to do that to Cena's move twice was an absolute joke. So that's that. And, and the finish, I mean, oh, somebody on the internet somewhere, please tweet us, people, how many times the Big Show has turned heel or turned in general. I've lost count. It's a shitload. It was to set up yet another John Cena Big Show match, which nobody on the place of planet fucking Earth wanted to watch. It, it just wasn't good. The finish was just, it, it was Big Show KO and then whoopee. Laura Knightless gets to keep his power. Yay, we've all wasted time in our lives. Thank you very much for that. You didn't like it then? No. Oh, yeah, in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> which, by the way, this was my pick for worst match of the night. In case it goes without saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think Laurinaitis did the right thing in the fact he's not supposed to be very good. But if he's not supposed to be very good, how long how, how long was this match? Let me just look at the uh, Wikipedia page. 17 minutes. 17 minutes. 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. But you're not supposed to be very good. You're supposed to be an executive who gets his ass handed to him. And, I mean, you know, his All Japan run was very good. But he was tagging with Kenta Kibashi and Steve Williams, two people who you could genuinely say were top 20 wrestlers of all time. Sam, your thoughts? Let's, go, let's wheel back to the start. So there's, there's predictable promo package. So you've got Cena beating Lesnar. Laurinaitis brings in Lesnar specifically to beat Cena. Cena mm-hmm. does away with him. In a cracking match. Go watch that instead. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's the next logical step? You fight him yourself, don't you? Yeah. He's just beaten a guy who's won the UFC heavyweight title, former WWE champion. So you're like, cool. And then... I'll do it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and uh, you're on the... Um, I think it's the rule before this show. He gets notified by the board of directors that no one's allowed to interfere. And if they do, then they'll get fired. And obviously, if he loses, then he gets fired. One, why do the board of directors just fire him? There are board of directors. That's why they're there. And two, <laughs> why are you stuck in the deck against the hill? Why are you putting him in the sympathetic position? Like the psychology of this was all over the shop. What psychology there was. Because I knew this was going to be awful. I was like, so what? how am I meant to approach this? I don't know. So you've got this guy who's going to lose his job. He's going to lose his job. He might have kids, might have a wife, might have elderly parents that he needs to care for. He's going to get fired. Cool. Because he's fired a few people. That's fair enough. Just fire him. Don't worry about it. Don't, need, don't worry about the match. And you've got Cena who desperately wants to get this man fired because he got Lesnar in to beat him, who Cena then beat. <laughs> now, what they should have probably done is had Lesnar break Cena's arm and then two months later, Cena comes back and he's like, I want you, Johnny Ace. You did yeah. this. So I'm all over the shop anyway. And then Laurinaitis comes down in a terribly ill-fitting top. <laughs> he's going to get hot. And then he takes off and he's wearing a lovely spandex number. And I was like, cool, that's good. That's good heel guard. I'm in with that. <laughs> I mean, the pop for Cena is unreal. You can see why he's, in the, why he's in the spot he's in, why they've done this, because he is... 
The crowd absolutely fucking love him. And even for him, he is in fantastic fucking shape, Cena, in this. Yeah. But this is fucking awful. <laughs> like, you've taken my bit about the STF. As soon as they started doing that, I was like, there are main eventers who haven't lasted as long in the STF yeah. Yeah. as this. And yet he's getting 20 out of 30 seconds in the STF and he's not tapping out. Bullshit. It's just awful. And what's, I think, even worse about this all is that old Johnny Ace is working so hard mm. to get this over. And... They do, because the crowd yeah. are into it. The crowd are absolutely hook, line, and sinker in this. They're really enjoying it. They fall for the big show. Like, come on, North Carolina. I mean, really? <laughs> like, really? The best bit is that Cena gets the knockout punch. He has to sell it. I fucking love it. I love this. So, you're the big show, right? 500 pounds, 500 some pounds. You hit someone when they're not expecting it with a knockout punch. I was ex- fully expecting him to then grab Johnny Ace, put him on top, and then just count for a three. But then all you've got is a man has to sell your move for 10 seconds. Cena had to sell it for about 45 seconds before he like, <laughs> pulled over and pinned him. And I love that because it legitimizes the move. Yeah. And there's no rush. We were in no rush. We'd watch 17 minutes of this shit. What's another 45 <laughs> seconds? But this is the main event of a pay-per-view. Mm. And this is pretty rough going. But as I said, the crowd don't give in. They no. stick with it. See, that's the thing. It's for me, it's like, this is where the logic of wrestling came undone <laughs> for me, especially North American wrestling specifically, because after the McMahons and then Russo and Bischoff in WCW, and then they did it in Impact with Jim Cornette and uh, Dusty Rhodes and Larry Zabisco, and it all for because of the success of the McMahons, everything became about the authority figures in the companies and how you were going to control the company. And it's like, that makes no sense because the point of a wrestling show is to see who wins matches to get to the top of the card, to have a sense of linear progression and who controls the company is neither here nor there. It worked with Vince McMahon and it worked with the McMahon family for two reasons. One, they were going up against The Rock and Steve Austin, who were the two biggest professional wrestling draws of all time made money hand over fist, and it could have been anyone in the ring against them, they would still have made money hand over fist. And I know because I saw them have some right ropey matches with some dead talent. But they were over, and they knew how to get those other people over, so it didn't really matter. And it's not that the McMahons were bad at what they did. They were great at what they did, and they were the perfect force for those anti-authority characters but as it's been said many times before wrestling is cyclical if you do the same idea over and over and over again it doesn't get over because it's just too much of it and well we're at 2012 and i don't think we got over the obsession with executive management in professional wrestling in north america up until what the last couple of years where it's kind of focused back on the championship and you know who's in who's the the wrestlers and who's they've got the belt and who's going to win and who's going to tell the story. You can have as much soap opera as you want, as long as it doesn't drown out the wrestling show. And a wrestling heel is supposed to be oppressive. It's supposed to be oppressive television, but it shouldn't be, you know, there should be a glimmer of hope that 
you couldn't undo the champion's long, long reign. So the flair reigns in the 80s, you knew somebody would beat him eventually. So it's not going to last forever. And that's kind of where you should be in wrestling. But because you focus on the manager, it meant that championship match between Punk and Bryan takes second billing. And it shouldn't really be down there because that surely is the, the biggest prize in wrestling, which you keep battering on about constantly during the championship match. No, apparently the biggest prize in wrestling is running the company. Mm. And it doesn't have the longevity that a traditional wrestling show has because it doesn't matter too much in the greater scheme of things. And the fact that the role of the general manager has come down in WWE, but certainly in wrestling generally in North America, has made it much more watchable, I think. That's what kind of thing, I think, turned a lot of people off and why the audience weren't as into wrestling as they are now, which I think that, as far as I can tell, WWE fans are much more into the wrestling story, even though the wrestling story isn't great. At least it's like about the wrestling and the wrestlers and the stories that they tell, which is where it should be. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly because that is exactly why I stopped watching. Is that yeah. they just had this like conveyor belt of authority figures, and we covered a show with uh, the Seth Rollins kind of authority phase not long ago, and that was like after WrestleMania 31. Mm. I was just I was out I was out because like I was out from regular watching because I couldn't handle it because like you said it just detracts from everything else that's going on and it makes it not a meritocracy it just makes it oh i'm going to join these guys and then they'll make me better because even with the um biggest like stables like the ministry and ministry of darkness and that everyone had their place on the card everyone had their little role to play and they like i remember midian winning like the hardcore title uh big boss man winning it and stuff like that and yeah stuff like this it's just this is one guy it's john laurinaitis it's johnny ace if you're going to try and build him up legitimately, have him beat some people in the weeks leading up to it on Raw. Have him go up against some enhancement talent and obliterate them. Try and like legitimise him before you chuck him in there with John fucking Cena, who, is, like we said, has just beat Brock fucking Lesnar. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Isn't it? The logic is just... It's just off the planet. It's just not, yeah. just does, does not make any linear sense whatsoever. And it, I think that's as well as kind of a hangover from the 90s. It's like, well, anyone can be a wrestler. It's like John Laurinaitis Isis was a good professional wrestler. Let's, let's not be about the bush. He was, and he clearly plays his role exceptionally well in this match. It's just that this match is about 12 minutes too long. And John Cena could get the, you know, all the faff in about the, the stuff without exposing his finisher, like you both have said, and still had, a reasonably entertaining match, but this is the main event of Raw the week before the pay-per-view. That's what it should yeah. be. Not to set up a rematch with Lesnar or somebody else, another big mad monster, and then you put the championship match on top, and then Cena's beating Monster of the Week again, which is kind of mm. what he does really well, and you know, I think I think even in this day and age, you wouldn't book this card the way they book this card. No. It's funny that you mentioned about the authority figures, because in WWE, they've they've made a comeback yet again. Um, you, you know, you you've got Adam Pearce running the show, and mm. Sonya Deville is getting involved more. It's, they they just for whatever reason, the the sort of authority figure is a formula that they've always loved. It's something they always will, and I just think it's always something they're going to go back to. Bring back Jack Tunney, I say. Oh, Jack Tunney. I mean, unfortunately, no one wants to watch a rotting corpse on the telly, James. No. So. Uh... <laughs> Or Sergeant Slaughter, who follows me on Twitter. But then again, he follows lots of people on Twitter. Oh, that's, a lovely, <laughs> that's a lovely show. That's a lovely show. I've just realised our admin has been terrible. We haven't had any MVPs. 
No, any, I was, I was, any I, matches I, of the night. I was saving them all to the end. That's the reason the, why. This I'm... show's gone down the pan. <laughs> 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 all right, then. Let's get on to our um, favourite moments of the night. Come on, I'll, I'll go first. Well, it's Punk and Brian, isn't it? It's... Yeah. Y- yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I said in my little roundup, I think I, I need some thinking, but I think this might be the best match we've we've watched. Well, I've watched through this podcast. Well done, lads. I think it's again, it is it's my favourite match as well, favourite moment as well. I can't really put anything else on this card that's mm. going to top it, and it's possibly the best North American match of the last ten years. I think that I've seen because I don't watch as much North American wrestling as as you guys do. So I would say, yeah, it's certainly up there and because uh, it just told such a good story. Mm. Matt, what's your favourite moment? That, that's, that's definitely my match of the night, 100%. It, it, there's no way it could be anything else, I think. Uh, in terms of my MVP of the night, I'm kind of torn between CM Punk and Daniel Bryan uh, as a joint <laughs> MVP, but I'm leaning ever so slightly towards Daniel Bryan just for how he sold the finish. So, uh he gets my MVP of the night, and, and while I'm on a roll, I'll uh, I'll give you my number for the show as well, which I'm gonna give the show four out of ten. Seems generous compared to the rest of it. So, uh, uh, Sam, do you want to give us your um, MVP and your uh, score out of ten? Punk and Brian, I think they've got a chance of getting another MVP. Uh, so, I'm gonna give this to Lena because I was. Genuinely aghast with how impressed I was with her because, like I said, I didn't ever con- always consider her a second wheel. And she got up in the driver's seat. She had a good time selling that leg. And uh, it was probably one of two very genuine high points on the card, I think, was that match. And then the WWE Championship match. In terms of a rating, now this is really, this is a real tough one because you've got the Battle Royal. Fine. Tag match, absolutely fine, but a pretty good last couple of minutes. Mm. The Fatal 4-Way, absolutely fine, but a pretty good last couple of minutes. We're just going to miss. Christian Cody Rhodes suffers because of the time, but it's, again, pretty... It's all right. Punky Bryan's fantastic. Ryback Camacho can eat a dick. And John Laurinaitis and John Cena is so fucking long, it's dragging a point <laughs> off. Can also eat the dick. <laughs> yeah, you know what? They can have all three of us. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to go for a four as well. Punk and Brian elevates it by a mark, I think. 100%. In a similar way, I'm going to actually give my MVP to the Miz because. Yes, had... good lad. He was the other guy. Yeah, he was the guy that had to make absolute drizzling manure work. And he's the only guy capable on this roster of doing that. I'm not, I mean, but I think Punk and Brian could have done it as well, but they'd have done it in a very different way. I just said no. <laughs> but, but I think the, the, the thing you have to do to be a good heel is show your ass. And The Miz shows his ass better than anyone else in WWE, possibly history. And this was just exactly what he needed to do. And he's not ashamed of it. That's his job. And he does it really well. And this was an example of like, I'm going to have to do an awful lot of work to make this lump look reasonably threatening. And he did. And so I have to give him some MPP. As far as score, I kind of, with you guys, this is a two, two, maybe three match card. And there isn't enough of it to make me go higher than five, really, because of 
there's just not enough there. One match cards can be great if they're booked in a way that they're one match cards. And this was not. This was booked in kind of a bit of a TV show way to get people over whilst trying to tell a story that it wasn't really that interesting, but also trying to give you this great, great, great match. So I'm going to give it a five because I can't really justify giving it any more. But I think the tag match, Cody and Christian, and the Divas Championship match, and the WB Championship match, that's enough to give it to a five for me. So, have you got any last and final comments on this particular card, and what are your final thoughts, and did it live up to the expectations for you, Sam? You know what? Probably exceeded expectations just because of the Punk and Brian match. It's not one I'll revisit, I've got to be honest. Like, there aren't many I'll revisit anyway, but I would 100% watch... CM Punk Daniel Bryan has got me having a couple of beers with probably Tommy and then going, Tommy, if you watch that Over the Limit 2012 match between Punk and Bryan, and he'll go, no, 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 oh, God, check it on, check it on me, come on, check it on. And then we'll watch it and we'll have a lovely old time. But yeah, this is WWE of the time and I can't really hate them for that, but I'll give it a good go. <laughs> Matt, what are your closing statements on this card? Um, my expectations were pretty much spot on um, from what I remembered. Um, the, the Punk and Brian match would be better than I remembered. The the Cena-Laurinaitis match was probably worse than I actually remembered. <laughs> so so it, it levels out quite nicely. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, this, this is certainly not one uh, that I plan on visiting ever again. And I think I can honestly say that I've had enough people power um to, to to last me a lifetime so yeah I'm, I'm done fair enough i mean for me it was the show that i wouldn't probably watch again though i'll probably watch that brian um uh punk match again just just because it was so good i think i need to kind of like reassess it a bit more in that particular era it hasn't made me want to watch wwe on a regular basis i enjoy dipping into it from time to time when i'm kindly invited to come and watch this show but I've had too much of the wrestling to watch to be able to watch it on a regular basis. I can't sit and watch like all the wrestling that is on WWE television and make it work for me uh, just because I've got so much other wrestling to watch. Best of Super Junior starts tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I don't really have any other wrestling to watch and I would not watch wrestling every week. Like right? yeah. WWE just because there's too much of it. Yeah, I think Far too much of it. I think that's it. It's just like I think AEW produces like as much wrestling as it does because it's expected to because WWE produces as much wrestling as it does. Yeah. It's like you don't have to, you know, bring of Honor produced like an hour a week and it was fine. I was looking at um I was reading something the other day and like apparently like some like forty thousand people watched Rampage last week. Don't do it. You don't have to do it. Also, it's over an hour, it's filmed after Dynamite. So it's like what don't do it? I suppose the production costs are pretty low because of that, but the paid to do it as well a bit. Do you know what? Yeah, yeah. I, I got to be honest, guys. Rampage for me is an easy watch. With with so many wrestling shows, a two, three, four hours, a, a really good one hour Rampage is honestly is something that I'll watch over anything else because it's done, it's quick, you get your wrestling fix. So yeah, so like a really good Rampage show, I, I'm quite happy to watch anytime. I, I actually genuinely think WCW Thunder kind of ruined wrestling because that was the first expansion. You know, you, like you, mm. you could you, that that didn't make sense. Like Monday Night Monday Nitro being two hours and then going to three hours makes sense because you were doing you wanted that audience when Raw switched off. Thunder made no sense. You've got to ship your crew halfway across the country. You're doubling your cast and all that stuff, and it just and then ever since then it's been oh we've got to produce 
eight hours of wrestling a week or we're not trying hard enough and it's like mm. do, you, do you really is it completely necessary but especially when you're then chucking pay-per-views on top as well sorry yeah. but premium live events <laughs> <laughs> so that wraps up the random wrestling review podcast today you can find the show on twitter at rwr pod uk and on facebook as well sam have you got anything else to close out the show with the only thing i want people to do is to rate review and remember ken patera you little bastards thought you might do cannot been mentioned so far today Matt, where can we find you on the internet sir you can find my rants and ramblings over at on twitter on at at matt rob 90 as m-a-t-r-o-b nine zero and one more thing to close out people bar <laughs> you got the hoarseness just right that was brilliant uh, you can find me at Sheriff Lone Star, and I do a show called The Troop Mini Show, which, as very much kindly Sam said earlier, we cover a lot of Japanese wrestling, uh, and we're doing Best of Super Juniors next. It's going to be great. And um, thank you to all the guys. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Matt. And the show will be back next week. She come to see me, always in the front row. She hear me say it, but she can't get it right. When I hit that low note, she gets to squirming. Face a look of your delight. She tries so hard to contain those four little words just messing with her brain. We so uncultured, I must admit. She said my lucky might get lucky if I was legit. It's Chucky Ducky Quack Quack. Her looks give me a heart attack. Honey kisses keep me coming back. Chucky Ducky Quack Quack Chucky Ducky Might sound silly, go ahead and call it dumb But my baby sugar got me talking in tongues Chucky Ducky Chucky Ducky Quack Chucky Ducky Chucky Ducky Quack